I heard this guy, Sanders, when I heard him give this testimony live over CNN, which went out over the world. <clears throat> now, here's what this guy did. He was a missionary in Thailand. Some of you may have read this or some of you may have saw it, but when somebody called me and told me, said this is in the Dallas Morning News on the front page. Man comes face to face with a wave and wins. And I thought, well, they said you need to read that. So I went and got it. I stopped at three places on the way home before I found the Dallas Morning News that afternoon. But I finally found one and I read it. And then I come home and then I turned on uh, CNN and a couple of others that I was watching what was going on in the world. I normally don't watch television, but with what's going on in the world, I think it's a good time for every pastor to begin to learn what's going on in the world. So, I watched this story. First, first time I heard it told, they didn't let him tell the story. He just said that a man comes face to face and he saves 30 children in an orphanage. And, uh, you know, but they didn't say how. And I thought, well, that's just exactly what I expected. They wouldn't let him tell how he done it. But when CNN the next day had the same guy on, I was sitting there watching, he said, Right after the break, we're going to come back. We're going to tell you how a man came face to face with a wave and won and saved 30 children, orphanage, orphans in Thailand. I thought, hey, this is going to be great. So it showed the story, told the story, and this guy said, he said, I got up at 4.30 in the morning to go out and pray and walk with God. Now, that's the first thing he done right. You know, that's the first thing he did right. Most people are sleeping at 4.30 in the morning. This guy's out walking on the beach, and he said, it's like glass. You know, I'm just watching the ocean, and I'm praying and talking to God and thanking him. So then I come back, and I go back to bed at about, I forget what time he said, 6 or 6.30. And then he said, at 7.30, I am up. You know, I'm getting ready. I'm going to thinking about the message I'm going to preach in about 30 minutes in our little group. And he said, of course, we had sold everything we had in Maryland and moved down here and built us some little buildings, took everything we had built some little buildings, and we took in orphan children, and they had about 30 children that had no place to go. So they were taking care of about 30 children, him and his wife. And he said, all of a sudden, I heard footsteps running down the corridor, and my wife is screaming when she comes busting through the door, the sea is coming. And she said, I thought, what do you mean the sea is coming? You know, so he said, I got I walked out and looked out, and here comes a wall of water. Now, folks, let me tell you, I don't know about you, but I added a new word to my vocabulary. I had never heard the word tsunami. I, that was a new one on me. I had never heard that. So I've added one new word, the last, well, maybe several, but at least one new word to my vocabulary that I didn't know existed until this last week. But now I know what that is. And he said, here comes this giant wave, of course, tidal wave. Of course, over there where he said it was, that it was only about 30 feet tall. You know, how many of you know how tall the ceiling is in this room? You know, this ceiling is probably 15 or 18 feet, most max. So if it's 15 feet, the wave was only twice that tall. Only 30 feet tall. Just a little bitty thing. You know, that's one of them kind that you run out and you see one come and you dive through it, right? <clears throat> Not exactly. You know, this one is a judgment of God coming upon this world. I mean, this thing went out everywhere. And this guy sees this thing. Now, this thing is coming in. And for those of you that looked and saw what happened, you got to realize that this thing didn't just hit one island. This thing hit 
thousands of miles of shoreline all over the country over there. And the island of Sri Lanka, I understand, moved a hundred, over a hundred feet off of its platform. The whole island. But that's nothing compared to the one in Revelation. The one in Revelation that all the islands are going to sink. And all the mountains are going to be made level when the big one comes. Now that's the big one that's coming. So if there's ever a time the church needs to learn who she is, it's now. Now, I've been preaching this, and most of the people are like I was most of my life. They don't believe they have the power to do what I'm going to tell you this guy did. This guy said he got, when they saw this wave coming, he, knew we only, he said, we only have seconds. He said, all the children are preparing, and said, I'd scream at the kids, get in the boat. They have a lagoon right behind the orphanage, and where they go evidently down to another part of the sea or something. And he said, the kids run out there and said, it normally takes 15 minutes to get all of them in the boat. And said, every one of them's in there in 10 seconds. <clears throat> Maybe it was the little excitation in his voice, you know, that's normal. And so, you know, normally you tell your children, you know, okay, kids, come on, let's get in the boat. We're going to church. You know, come on. Everybody, and of course, everybody's moving around. But you know, one morning when you look over there and you've never screamed at your son, and he's fixing to put his hand on the stove, and, and you've never screamed at him, and you see him ahead of you say, Don't do that! You know? I mean, they know there's something different. You know, Daddy's never screamed at me like that, never in his life. So, he, I mean, you recall, what did I do wrong? You know, well, that's, that's the way you have to get their attention sometimes. If you do it often, then you don't get their attention. It's when it's something new. So anyway... They screamed to these children, get in the boat. And he said, in 10 seconds, they were all in the boat. Bam. And he said, the motor on that thing always takes four or five pulls, minimum four or five pulls. He said, we reached in there, I grabbed that boat, and said, it's running just like that. One pull. You think God's in this? Yes, he's in it from day one. Now they were running down this little lagoon here with these kids in it, and here comes this giant wave. 30-foot wall of water. And it's just destroying everything. He's watching this thing come inland, and it's just wiping out everything, killing everything. And all of a sudden, it comes up to this lagoon. And it's fixing to come over that wall, and when he does, he knows it's going to come right in that boat with him and his wife and them 30 kids, and all of them are going to die. And he raises his hand and said, In the name of Jesus, stop! And he said, I thought I was imagining things. The wall of water stopped! He should have expected it. That's the difference between us. That's where we don't live today. We as sons of God do not know who we are. We don't know what we can do. We think we're trying to persuade God to do something He's already given us the power to do. But I'm going to tell you, with the judgments that are coming up on the earth, you better learn this year who you are. And you better start believing that book. This couple sitting up here on the front, they said this is the first time they'd been here. They had been to lose, they'd lived in Louisiana. They now moved to Athens, Texas, and so they've come here. But they've got some of our tapes and everything. Been listening to them, and she especially was saying a while ago, you know, number one, he said we don't read the book, so we don't know who we are. Number two, she said when we do read it, we don't act on it. See, that's the problem. When you read the book, just like I told her, she was talking about not acting on the word. I said, well. Now, Anytime you read the book and you learn who you are as a son or a daughter of the king of the universe and you start to act on it, there is a critter 
that's called a demon. And he's been sent by his boss, which is the devil. And the minute you start to act, it's like I told her a while ago, I said, the minute you start to act on God's Word, He'll come up to you and He'll put His arm around your neck and He'll say, but you know, you're just an old, unworthy woman. And you remember, women can't do nothing in the church. And I said, He'll do everything He can to deceive you. And then I said, if you sit down to study the Word of God, He'll say, you had not washed the clothes yet. And then if you, these, I said, I put my hand on this brother's neck while I go. He said, when I sat down, I said, the devil will put his arm around your neck and he'll start whispering, sleep, sleep. <laughs> sleep. And you'll say, oh, I am so tired this morning. I'm going to sleep. You've got to take that devil by the tail and get up and say, devil, I don't care what you say. I'm going to go and I'm going to do this today because I'm a son of God. And when you get a hold of this, you won't have to sleep 12 hours a day. You can make it on a lot less. Cheryl has no idea how I make it on four or five hours. She said, I've never seen a man that can do what you can do. I'd never seen a man that can go to bed the time you go to bed and get up when you get up and then be on fire and be able to do what you do all day. Well, let me tell you, I've learned who I am in Christ. In fact, this morning, we were sitting there watching the Bible codes and stuff on TBN. Quite interesting. Uh, She had a wedding yesterday. Her and Christy sing at a wedding. So when she got home last night, in fact, she called me. Now, Now, guys, this is the kind of husband you need to be. You know, your wife is out working diligently to make you a living. (laughs) Now, you need to be making your wife a living too now, guys. Don't get me wrong. But if she's working too, and my lovely wife does work, she goes out and her and her daughter sing last night for hours, about four hours at a wedding, at a reception and everything. And then they finished at 11, had to load all their equipment, take everybody home, and then she gets home about 12, 15 and I told her when she left about 11.30, I said, you should be sure and call me when you're 10 minutes from there, from the house. She said, okay. And I said, would you love a cup of hot tea just as you walk in the door with the back door open? She said, I would love it. I'm exhausted. I said, good. So whenever she called me, when she walked in the back door, the door was open, the hot tea was made, and we were ready to have a time to sit down and talk and enjoy an evening together. So we took our hot tea and went in and sat down, and I just turned on TBN, and they were having a great deal about the Bible codes. So we lay on the couch and drank our hot tea and watched this until about 1.30 or 2 o'clock this morning. And then we went to bed and talked about it till 4.20. What do you think is going to happen? And then she couldn't sleep the rest of the night. When I told her what was going to happen and the things that were going to happen to get ready, when I finally woke up this morning, of course, at 4, I finally told her, I said, you know, you need to go to sleep. It's 1.15. I'm looking at the clock. She said, looking at the clock? She said, well, how do you see the clock? I said, I got one built in. And she said, well, she, she said, I'm going to look at the clock. I said, no, no, if you're really going to look, I didn't tell you the truth. <laughs> she said, well, I wondered if you were, how did you see the clock at 1.15? I said, I didn't want you to know what time it was. Because if you really knew what time it was, I said, you're not going to be able to do anything tomorrow because you're going to be tired. I said, it's after 4 a.m. in the morning. And she woke up and turned over and looked at the clock. and She said, it's 4.20. I said, I knew that. But I didn't want you to know it because you wouldn't be able to make it to church. (laughs) Because she's got to have her beauty rest. 
But the thing about it is, then after, after all these things we're talking about, and all the devastation that she's been hearing about the Bible codes and what's going on, then she couldn't sleep. So when I got up to come here, she still had never gone to sleep. She's still laying there said, I can't sleep. Well, let me tell you, don't let it bother you. Get ready. Learn who you are and get prepared. Because let me tell you, this year, with what's already started, only think about this. In the entire country that we saw down there, and I'm sure some of you watched some of the news channels like I have with all the devastation that's happened this last few days since Christmas. How many people really knew who they were and done a miracle? One man, as far as we know, and he really didn't know who he was. He just, by the power of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost came up on him and he spoke to that wave and it stopped dead. And then in the article, he said in the paper, as well as on CNN, he said, the wave literally stopped, but I thought I was imagining things. Isn't that amazing? The church today is living in 100% unbelief of the promises of God's Word. You agree with that, don't you, Dick? We do not believe that we are who this book says we are and that we can do what this book says we can do. But let me tell you, this year, this year I'm going, to those that will come to this church, this year I'm going to beat into you the Word of God where that if you don't know how to live and walk holy before God and you can't produce miracles, I'm going to tell you it's going to be because your wood is soaking wet and you can't do nothing. Because if you come here this year and at the end of this year you can't see miracles, I'm going to tell you you ain't been listening because I'm going to show you this year how to make it happen. I'm going to show you how to make it happen. Now, some of you already are learning. If you're going to a church where no miracles, no healings, no salvations is happening, let me tell you, you're in a dead church. And you need to get involved in one. Just like the other day, a young man, a young woman, I sent some tapes, or we, our ministry sent tapes to a Baptist church somewhere, to a lady who was in a Baptist church. She was so fired up, or he was so fired up with those, they begin to take and order more and begin to give them to members in their church and then begin to give them to their pastor and their associate pastor. And we got a letter back from that church, from one of the people in that church, and said, our pastor is now preaching the same things you're preaching and we're beginning to see signs and miracles, wonders and healing in our Baptist church already. I thought, praise God! <clears throat> now, if God is honoring His Word if you take what I'm teaching and it brings forth these kind of miracles and God is no respecter of persons, then when somebody does call you and say, Thurman, you're teaching a lie. And I had one or two of those this year too. I had some real hate mail this year a couple times. But when I get letters from people that say, you're teaching a lie and all these kind of things, and in the context of the emails, they're taking, they're using profanity and all those kind of words, and they profess to be Christians. I don't even answer those kind of letters. There's not any holiness in those people. They don't know who the Jesus we serve is. They don't know what love is. But this year, we're going to, we're going to, by demonstration, we're going to walk in love. We're going to see God do great and mighty things. We're going to see wonderful things happen this year. And this year, uh, I'm going to do something this year. I've already started. I had somebody ask me a question a while ago. 
I said, have you ever thought about putting the scriptures themselves on tape or CD? And I said, yes, I have actually already started that. Nobody knows that but me. And I'm really concerned as to what translations to put it on. Because one is not enough. You know how long it takes to put the Bible on tape? Especially when you talk as slow as I do. <clears throat> but, you know, it's going to be very difficult for me to read the translation without putting interjecting things into it. <laughs> Y'all know where I'm coming from? When you come to some place and it talks about the kind of power you have or the holiness that we're supposed to walk in, it's going to be difficult for me to say, now look, he just said we're to walk holy. That means to walk without sin. It'll be difficult for me not to put in my own two cents worth in there. But when I'm doing the translations, I'll have to restrain myself. You know, because I don't want to add to or take away from the Word of God. But anyway, it's going to be an interesting year. I can see I'm going to be busy. You know, radio shows, television shows, and by the way, you might know that we have already been invited back for 15 more television shows on GLC. This will be 45. <laughs> Praise God. <clears throat> They're airing our shows, our 30-minute shows, five times a week. And this will be 45 sets of shows that we've done, and this is absolutely at no cost to us. No cost. This is what's so wonderful to think that GLC, I mean, do you know if I went to Daystar or, or TBN, I had, a, I had a show one time on Daystar, one one-hour show on Friday afternoon, and that one one-hour show seven or eight years ago cost us $1,500 a week to produce it and air it. 1500 a week for one hour, a one-hour show. You know how quick you can run up $100,000 worth of bills You know, on that? These people are airing a 30-minute show five times a week for free. Wow. But <clears throat> the second set of shows I'm going to teach those people, if they think they've heard some awesome things, and we've got some awesome praise reports back already of what God's doing out there, but let me tell you, they're supposed to go to several million more households right after the, right now, the first of the year. They're going to be on more satellites, more everything. So this year, I look forward to this year being an awesome year. Now then, before I really get into the message that I prepared today, I'm going to let Miss Kim come up and give her testimony. She's got a powerful testimony. She wants to take a few minutes and tell you all what God has done for her, and we're going to let her do that. This woman has learned how to walk and live the abundant life, and I'm going to let her tell you what God has done for her in her life. I can share my testimony. It might take a whole week to finish it, but I'm going to just appreciate it. And about 10 years ago and five years ago and two months ago, uh, I've been praying, asking the Lord, if you answer this prayer, I will give a testimony. I would like to know what your life looks like 20 years ago, your life. My life 20 years ago, I just finished beauty school from Little Arkansas. I moved to Dallas. I was young and naive. Uh, didn't have anything. I didn't have much skill about meal, the hair business, because I just finished beauty school. 
And I don't know anybody in Dallas. I had no friend, no family. And uh, first job I had, they pay only minimum wage. And I was at the time just a baby Christian. Uh, I never read the Bible. I have no idea what the Bible is a promised word there. But um, only I understand two things. If you want to be Christian, you have to go to church diligently Sunday and bring money to church. They're called Thai. And uh, my first paycheck, I got $180 a week. That's the minimum wage that I And uh, so I decided I'm going to tie because I want to be Christian. And I always decided to give a little more than 10%. And uh, that time, so first paycheck, also I've been thinking, should I tie before tax or after tax? But even I don't understand why I'm tithing, only I understand if you want to be a Christian, you have to come to church to bring money. So if I want a Christian, that's what I'm going to do. So I tie $20. That, that time, $20 is less, less money to me than 20 years ago. I did it diligently. And uh, 10 years ago, I built a house, beautiful house, two-story house, not on plain or close. And have a 30 years loan. And uh, I speak to myself to the Lord. I say, if you help me to pay off this house 10 years, and I will give a praise to you and give a testimony. And then five years ago, one television ministry talking about, if anyone don't want to pay off a house in five years, put your hand on TV, agree with me. So I did it there. About two months ago, I had a... This year, you know, like a bit last year, the business is kind of ups and down. Also, I have a lot of unexpected uh, expenses. So I wasn't sure really God will pull through what I promised. So two months ago, I had a t- two problems. I have a severe shoulder problem. No matter what I do, I couldn't be healed. I said, you know what, my face is not really strong, strong enough to heal the shoulder. So I decided to come to church here. So I had someone to pray for me. So while I ask him pray for him, I ask one more to pray request to pay off my all my debts in the year. That's mean last Friday. My debts mean mortgage payments debts, also like a property tax. I don't have debts like other people call debts because I don't go out charge or something I cannot pay. But anyway, two months ago it doesn't look like uh, come through what I expect uh, promise. So my face is kind of sort of try shaky. <laughs> so I need a little help to come over and pray with me or agree with me. So I pray. Even two weeks ago, it wasn't looking like it wanted to come through. But at the last Friday, God kept all his promise. He made me. I paid off all my debts, tax, house payment. I'm 100% debt free. And I live a bundle life. Uh, my son is 16 years old. He never been sick since he was born, and I never been sick last 20 years. We don't have a health insurance because we never go sick, and uh, so house paid for. It's like a thermal. It's nice to have a bundle life. Money is a bank. I put away my son's college way retirement. So it's wonderful when you give it to God. You never come out sure. Praise the Lord. Lord, thank you. Wow, what an awesome testimony. Awesome testimony. I got one similar to that 
right quick, I'll just give you a little bit of an overview. I had been to church all my life, and nobody had ever taught me about tithing. I'd been in church since I was all my life, but I'd been a Christian since I was 11. And I'm probably 23 at that time and still didn't have enough money to make it. And I went to a church and a church and a preacher taught on tithing. And so I started tithing uh, at about 23, and I couldn't see any way I could make it because I couldn't make it with all the money, and I was only giving God a dollar a week at the time. So to give him 10% and make it, I didn't see how that was possible, but I started. And from that day to this, I have never been broke. And today, everything I own, everything I have is paid for. Everything. I don't have any payments. I have a piece of land paid for. This last year, I was able to, uh, actually, uh, many of you have been here a few times know, I bought a piece of land, uh, two acres of land. Actually, uh, bought ten, but two, two I bought for my son. The other eight I bought for the ministry. But uh, uh, the two acres of land I bought, it built my son a building, put him in business, everything, and... I, you know, it's amazing. I wanted to give him all that because the piece of land, the building, the equipment, everything I put together for him is, is appraised at about $400,000, $450,000. And I wanted to give that to him. But do you know you can't? Isn't that strange? I thought to myself, I, you want to give your children something. You work for all your life. You tithe. You serve God. You build an inheritance for your children. And then you build something like a building, buy all this equipment, and you want to give it to your son. And you say, here it is, son. I want to give you a free title deed to this. It's yours. And the attorney and the CPA says, well, when you give it to him, he's going to immediately owe the IRS 55% gift tax. So 400000 That's over $200,000 gift tax. I said, what? That was mine. I ought to be able to do what I want, what I want to with it. But you can only give your children $10,000 a year without taxes. So you can gift it to him over many years at $10,000 a year. But you know how long it takes to give away $400,000 at $10,000 a year? A long time. So now you can't give it to him, so now I have to sell it to him and let him pay it back to me with interest. Isn't that amazing? And then, of course, when he makes the payments to me with the interest, I can do what I want to with the money. If I want to turn around and put it back to give it to him, that's okay. But the percentage of interest that he pays me, I have to declare that as income at the end of the year and pay income tax on the interest. I mean, the system, they got you. I didn't know all those things. But anyway, there's a way around it if you'll learn. So from all these things that we've seen and all these things that we've heard, I want you to know that as you go through life on this earth, it is wonderful to learn these things like Kim did, become a Christian. Number one, becoming a Christian is the most important thing she or I have ever done, knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Because today I'm going to read to you, I'm going to start in the book of Ecclesiastes, and I'm going to read a little in Ecclesiastes out of what's happened. Think of the people that I heard on television that was crying on camera says, I've worked my life away. And today, in five seconds, everything I work for is gone. Including my wife and my children are gone. That happened over and over and over. 
in the last few days. We saw video coverage of people on the beach with children out playing in the sand, little children, and boys and girls, and men and women. And they look up and here comes a, a wave. Even what blows me away on the film that people are taking with their video cameras that finally get this to CNN or whoever. It's amazing when they see these big waves coming in, the words of profanity that come out of their mouth that's on the mic. And you want to know why these things happen? I can tell you why they happen. This is a judgment of God upon the world. It's going to happen more and more. Get used to it. Did you realize that in the last hundred years there's only been five earthquakes that went into the 9.0 or better? Only five in a hundred years. Well, let me tell you, the Word of God clearly says in Luke chapter 21 and Matthew 24 that there's going to be great earthquakes in many places along with lots of other things that's going to happen. But Jesus said these are just the beginning of the birth pains. The end is not yet. The end is coming. The world is never going to go away. This earth, the Word of God says, will last forever. But it will be burned up and purged and cleansed, and we will come back and reign and rule on this earth with the Lord. But right now, those of you that are fighting and squabbling and even doing things and have got unforgiveness toward brothers and sisters because one of them took a few dollars from a will or whatever, or that cheated you out of something that's got you into a state of unforgiveness, and you're living in these places, not talking to your sons, not talking to your daughters, not talking to your wife, not talking to your husband, not willing to forgive, holding something against someone, fussing and fighting when somebody scratches your new car, or whatever it is. Let me tell you, the Lexuses and the Volkswagens all went down the streets together over there, and it didn't make any difference. That's amazing, isn't it, what we saw? Well, let me tell you what Solomon has to say about these things. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, he says, Everything is meaningless. Vanity. Everything is vanity. Everything is meaningless. It's utterly meaningless. Everything on this earth. I think about when my mother, when my dad died. I think about when my dad, at 79 years old, he passed away after I buried him. I went out and looked at the house that he had built, all the barns, the fences, everything, and everything was falling down. It's vanity. It's meaningless. And I think about a little squabble. Dad got in with a man down the road over a little tiny fence that he had built across a piece of land. Dad said he was a few feet over on his land. I told Dad one day, Dad, he was all upset about that. I said, Dad, I said, no big deal. So he built his fence over on a little bit of your land, the full length of the thing. So maybe there's what, three or four or five total acres involved out of the hundreds that he had? I said, so what's three or four or five acres? Dad said, I want that fence moved back over. I said, Dad, forget it. Forget it. He said, I want that for you. I said, Dad, I don't want it. I don't want it. I want you to forgive that man, and I don't care if that man leaves that fence there. If I don't care if that fence don't never get changed, I could care less. 
I'm not going to take that piece of land with me when I leave this place. Everything is meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work? Generations come and go, but nothing really changes. I'm paraphrasing the Word of God for you in the language that you can understand. This is what your King James or your New King James says, but I'm paraphrasing this for you. So you can understand it. I'm not going to use words that some people don't understand. The sun rises and sets and it hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and north, here and there, twisting back and forth, getting nowhere. I've been watching that wind blow all these years. I've been out working in the country in the farm and baling hay and I see that wind come and go and it blows everything and it blows one direction today and another direction tomorrow and nothing. It doesn't change. And every day the sun comes around. Actually the earth is turning and it's the same thing every day. Just another day. So we, we get down into knockdown drag outs over little things on this earth and lose our relationship with people that we love over nothing. Now, if you had been one of those people down there in Sri Lanka or anywhere else in Thailand, all those places, I mean, there was buildings and houses and many of you saw that up and down the coast for hundreds of miles. When those 20 and 30 foot waves come in, there's nothing but rubble. Everything they worked for was gone. Everything. So this is what Solomon's trying to tell us. This is meaningless now then, this is where we as Christians need to learn who we are. Because these devastating things are going to come upon this earth and the devil has legal right to do what he's doing to destroy the earth because the Word of God says, Jesus said, I come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. But the devil comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. So when you see that kind of stuff happening, just like think, down here in south of here and east of here, all up in the, in the islands and the coasts of all the eastern states, tens of thousands of homes were destroyed. Hundreds of millions of dollars. A million people without a place to live. And just like when Cheryl and I were sitting there watching, they said there in, on, on these islands, on just a couple of islands, not only now was the death toll up confirmed over 150,000, and who knows, it may go three or four or 500,000 before they get through because there's people under that rubble that nobody knows is there. Can you imagine the death toll being so severe that they're out there, and we saw it on television, they're out there with drag lines digging ditches and they're backing up with trucks and dumping bodies in it and covering them up with a bulldozer. You couldn't even imagine doing one of your loved ones like that, could you? But you would have no alternative if all of you died together. It don't make no difference where you're buried. Don't make no difference at all. You've got to make your decisions before this flesh dies. When this flesh dies, it's just a piece of flesh and it's going to turn back to dust. But while you're alive, you've got to make the right decisions. And that's going to depend and determine where you're going to spend eternity. So he says, then the water, it says, the rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. How can all these rivers run into the sea, but then the sea never get full? But Solomon's noticed this. He says, Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows again to the seas. 
Everything is so weary and tiresome. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. And that's true. We want to see something. We want to see more. No matter how much we hear, we are never content. You know what? This should make you be able to go home just like last night as I thought as Cheryl had been out working. And of course, I'd, I put in a pretty good day every day. You know, I'd studied till 1 o'clock. So, but I, I put in some pretty good days. You know, I mean, if I don't get in 14 or 16 hours of work pretty well, six or seven days a week, I haven't done a very good day. I know one day when we were running all these cords and video signals and everything down here for all these cables, for all these speakers and all the cameras and all the stuff that we were doing, I had a, uh, I had a whole bunch of guys helping me. We were building these platforms and all that stuff. And I got on my blue jeans and I'm running around throwing the ladder, running up down the ladder and hanging cords and doing everything. And Fred says, my Lynn Thurman, you get around like a teenager. <laughs> well, of course. I mean, what do you do when you're a son of God? When Jesus said, I renew your youth daily like the eagles. What do you think I'm going to do? Go around and say, oh, I'm so old and weary and can't do nothing. Forget it. I'm going to claim the promises of God. I mean, see, he's a faith God. He's a faith God. If you go around saying, oh, I'm old and I can't do nothing no more. Oh, how woe is me. i got a pain in my arm today. I'm over 50 years old and I know I'm over the hill. I guess the next thing will happen. I won't be able to see and I won't be able to hear. And I'll probably come down with arthritis. And you hear people talking like that in the church all the time. See, they've been deceived and defeated by the enemy. They're talking his language instead of the Word of God. I mean, when you get a hold of the fact Jesus renews my youth daily like the eagles. Man, when you get a hold of these things and you realize everything is meaningless. As I'd studied all these things this week, I thought, you know, the least I can do, I can, when my wife comes in, I can be up tonight when she comes in. I'll have her a cup of hot tea and we'll sit there and talk and I'll just love her and just tell her how much I love her. Is that what a man should do to his wife? Absolutely. If you're not doing that for your wife, you need to be doing that for your wife. And let me tell you guys, if you'll do that woman like that and you'll treat her like that when you need her to do something for you, she'll do it for you. She'll submit to you. It won't be no standing up and bucking up and saying, no, I ain't going to do nothing for you. If you treat her like a lady and love her like a lady, I guarantee anything you ask her to do, she'll go do it for you and she'll be happy to do it. And I'm just like this last week. It's amazing the little things that we can do that helps our mates. The other day I asked my bride, I said, Honey, is there anything I can do that would make your life more wonderful? When's the last time you asked your mate that? Is there anything I can do that would make your life more wonderful? And you know what she said? Well, she said there is one little thing. It may not be very important to you, but it sure would help me. I said, What's that? She said, you know, when you take your T-shirts off, you turn them wrong side out. And she said, when I wash them, I have to turn them all right side out. I said, I've taken them off like this all of my life. But I said, it'll be no problem to grab it like this and rip it off like this, and it will be right side out.
So I've been taking my t-shirts off a different way. After 65 years, I've learned a new way to take my t-shirts off, and it makes my wife happy. She don't have to turn them wrong side out. She turns, I mean, right side out because they're already right side out. Somebody said, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard. When's the last time you asked your bride, what can I do that would make your life better? When's the last time you as a woman asked your husband, what can I do that would make your life more meaningful? See? See, when you get a hold of the fact, what is it that counts what we do for each other? Because we ain't taking none of this other junk with us. In fact, when I leave, you know how many of them t-shirts I'm going to take with me when I go? I'm going to leave them all here. You know that? I ain't taking not one of them. Y'all see where I'm coming from? This year, learn how to love. Learn how to love each other. If you haven't asked your mate lately, what is it that I could do to make your life more wonderful? When you leave here today, when you're going home, reach over and tap your hubby or your wife on the shoulder and say, Honey, what could I do for you that would make mine and your life more wonderful? And then if they've got a list, (laughs) after they tell you about five things, say, Wait a minute, honey. Wait till we get home, and I'll take a pen and pencil. I'm going to write these down, and then I'm going to make sure that I do them all. Because if you've got more than one or two, and chances are most of us got more than one or two, you're not going to remember them, so you need to write them down, and then you need to do them. You need to act on them to make your mate's life more wonderful on this earth. And some of them, it might just be, she would say, you know, if you just tell me once in a while you love me, I sure would appreciate it. Well, if she says that, don't tell her once in a while. Wake up in the morning and turn over to her and say, Honey, I love you. Start like that. Do something nice for your mate this year. You know, learn how to love. That's, I mean, after all, didn't God say in His Word that this is the attributes that He has, that He is love, and we're supposed to be just like Him? And he says, if your faith worketh by love, if you don't walk in love, guess what? You can't have no faith. So if you're not walking in love, your faith will not work. That's why when so many people come to this church and want me to pray over them, they have prayed over themselves. Many times we've had people come here and they they prayed over themselves and said, I guess it's just I don't have enough faith. Would you pray over me? And they come here and I pray over them and God heals them. What do you think makes the difference? Now then, if I could get to where I could walk in the true 100% God kind of love, up there where he's at, guess what he would do when I prayed for you? Wow. Now that's not only just for me, Benjamin. That's for all of us. That's for every one of us. So guess what? The old enemy, he don't want you to walk in that kind of love. In fact, let me tell you what you need to be careful of. When you start home today, if you look over at your mate and say, Honey, what could I do that would make your life better? And she starts, she names one or two things, and immediately all of a sudden you come up on the defensive. No, wait, that's a devil. That's a devil. And he'll do that to you. And then first thing you know, you're in a knockdown drag out on the way home instead of a love relationship. Don't let the devil do that to you. You know how easy it would have been for me to say, well, my goodness, woman, you ain't got nothing to do but wash my T-shirts. Turn them around right side out. See, I mean, I know men that would have done their wife like that. You don't treat your mate like that, do you? Now, doesn't that sound like something very insignificant? But if it makes my bride, makes her life better, then why shouldn't I try to do something 
I see, I stepped out on dangerous ground when I said, is there anything I can do for you that will make your life more meaningful or better? How many of you, maybe I shouldn't ask. I'll ask the question, but I won't ask you to hold up your hand. Don't hold up your hand, but how many of you have asked your mate lately if you can do that for them and make their life more meaningful? If you have not, don't let this day pass before you ask them that question. Because all these other things that you're struggling for to make a living and do all the things you're doing, all that's meaningless anyway. This beautiful house that Kim said that she's been so wonderfully blessed with and been able to pay off this and owes nobody nothing and everything because she's tithed and given above and beyond the tithe and God in a very short period of years has allowed her to pay off everything and have money in the bank and no sickness and disease with her or her son when she came to me with her harm problem the other day. We prayed over her and God healed it. See, the enemy will come back and put pains and symptoms upon you. But out of all those things, even though we got her arms healed, everything, she's got a beautiful home paid for, if that wave had come in and she'd have been living on the beach, where would that house be today? It'd be about gone, just like thousands of them all over the world. They're gone. They're nothing. I mean, just rubble. I mean, when you turn on the television and there's cars and buses and some of them with people in them and they're all going down the street, washing down the street... Let me tell you, that's not exactly a good place to be. But tens of thousands of people died in the process of all that. One of the things I noticed in several places, only a few Americans were over there on vacation that they know of. But the ones that were there, some of them were well-known people, movie stars, actors, and you know what the thing that I found strange? They were all over there with their boyfriend or their girlfriend. It wasn't their husband or their wife that they were over there with. And you want to know why these things happen? I'll tell you. It's because of sin. That's why these devastating things are coming upon the world. Do you know in the country of Thailand, which was very, although it's a long ways away, devastation up and down, hundreds of miles of beaches. I used to be in Thailand. I lived there for a while. Thailand, where I lived, we were told by the doctors when we went into that country, whatever you do, don't go to town to a prostitute in this country. Every woman that's a prostitute in this country has at least one incurable venereal disease. And most of them have as many as three. Not just venereal diseases. Incurable venereal diseases. And did you know when I was over there, a bunch of the men that I went over there with, and some of them were married, they were stupid enough to go downtown anyway. And you know, some of those men came back to America with incurable venereal diseases to a wife and children. What are you going to do? You're ruined. You're ruined. Sin. Isn't it amazing? Sin. But, as Solomon's saying here, history merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. What can you point to that is new? Nothing. How do you know it didn't already exist long ago? 
There's nothing you and I do. That's new. Everything's been done before, many times. We don't remember what happens in those former times. And in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. Do you know that I don't care who you are. You can be the best, fanciest movie star. You can, what's just like the other day, my interest is in the engineering world. Cheryl's interest was in the musical world because that's where she's been. So somebody gave her some CDs for Christmas. She asked me, do you know? There's one person, one of the ones she asked me, she said, this, this song is by Ray Charles. Do you know him? I said, yeah, I know Ray Charles. I'd heard of him when I was a kid. He was a singer then. He's a little older than me, so I had heard of Ray Charles. And then she said, and the next song is by so-and-so. Do you know him? And I said, never heard of him. And the next seven or eight songs on there, she said, and that's so-and-so. Do you know him or her? I said, never heard of him in my life. But now just think. Even Ray Charles, I heard of him and knew him. But let me tell you what, in just a few years, you know who will know Ray Charles on this earth? Nobody. They won't know who he is. They won't remember he was a great singer. They won't know nothing about him. How many people on the earth today know who King Solomon was outside of the church? And probably not many of them in the church know who he was. But nobody outside probably ever heard of King Solomon. One of the greatest, most powerful men, the one that wrote this article that I'm reading. But yet nobody remembers it. Everything's vanity. Everything's meaningless. Let's look at what he starts there in verse 12 about the futility of wisdom. Of course, he was a man that inquired of God and God gave him the greatest wisdom. I said, I, the teacher, was king of Israel. And I lived in Jerusalem I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore my, by wisdom everything being done in the world. He was a very, very intelligent man. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I soon discovered that God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. Did he tell us in his word, you will suffer persecution on this earth? Let me ask this question. How many of you have never suffered persecution? No hands. I don't know anybody. How many of you have never had tragic things happen in your life? How many of you have never had a death of a loved one? Never had a child injured? Never been to the hospital or whatever? But if I were to say, how many of you have experienced these things? Everybody would hold up your hand. We go through these things. God has dealt to us a tragic existence on this earth. And you know what he told us as his children? Consider these various trials and tests pure joy because I'm going to pour them out upon you. I'm going to raise you up on or bring you from a wimp. I don't want you as a wimp. I want you to come up and be a faith person. And if I don't put you through trials and tests, you can't ever learn how to be the person I want you to be. You know, I could teach you. I could go to engineering school. I could go to pilot school. I could listen to everything there was. I could read those books. I could do everything in the world. I could learn an airplane inside and out. But until I go out and step in that cockpit of that airplane with an instructor and we go down the runway the first time and I make a few trips, I don't know how to fly that airplane. I don't care how much I know about that airplane until I've actually done it several times. And I've never met a man that we put in an airplane even though, like a DC-8 or whatever, even if he had thousands of hours flying smaller airplanes. We'd run him through a ground school, taught him everything. He had to pass everything, make good grades. 
we still didn't take him out there after he knew everything in the classroom. We never took him out there and said, okay, there it is, take it to London. No, you went out there, you got a test pilot, a check engineer, everybody, you put him in there and you flew that beast with him until you knew he could do everything, including the emergency procedures, without fault. There's no room for error. When he gets to where he can do it, then you turn him loose. That's when you do it. So God is testing you and me. He's putting us to the test. He's dealt us a tremendous set of problems on this earth, but that's what God's going to get. I mean, so people say, why? Why me? Because it's something God has dealt for you. Now, then, can you be an overcomer in all of these? Sure you can. When you read the New Testament, you learn who you are. When the devil comes upon you, which is running loose on this earth, when you learn you have power over him, when you learn that you live right, you do what God says, and you walk holy before him, you live without sin, you don't live in the devil's world, therefore the devil can't touch you. The Word of God clearly says that. So when the devil tries to come upon you, when you learn who you are, you don't have to be sick, you don't have to be afflicted, you don't have to go through all these devastating things that some people go through. As these things come upon you, whatever it is, you can take authority over them and drive them out in the name of Jesus. We as sons and daughters of God have been given the power to do these things. It's all over the book. It's just like over in the book of Proverbs. I'm fixing to start on my radio shows very soon with chapter 12. I'm going to teach the rest of the book of Proverbs. But as I was getting that together in the last couple of weeks, I was reading where he said, don't go out and mess with the prostitutes. If you mess with the prostitutes, they'll not only lead your life to hell, but in your later years, you'll give yourself to the cruel one. And you stop and think about that. What does he mean? It's the devil. Who is the cruel one? The devil. So when you go out and he's talking about things in there like syphilis, when a man messes around with prostitutes when he's young, and he gets involved with some of these incurable diseases, and some of those diseases take the rest of your life to come all the way up. And a man can carry some of these diseases 10, 20, and 30 years, like AIDS. I don't know if we got any of these videos back here. It's not gay or not. But we have some. And I think we're going to bring it. It's only a 30-minute video about a gay man that tells his life about how he was confronted by an older man when he was a young man and got him into what they called the gay lifestyle. And then at about age 30, when he was diagnosed with HIV, and now he's walking through the graveyard saying, I have to live the few years I have left with death. He said, let me tell you, the gay lifestyle is not gay. It brings forth death. Sin brings forth death. The wages of sin is death. But we don't realize he means in our flesh. So don't go there. As a Christian, you don't want to go there. You want to walk holy before God. Because God has dealt a tragic existence to the human race on this earth. And then in verse 14, he says, Everything under the sun is meaningless. Like chasing the wind. What is wrong cannot be righted. What is missing cannot be recovered. In verse 16, And I said to myself, Look, 
I am wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. The wisest man on the earth, God said. He gave him this wisdom. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I worked hard to distinguish wisdom from foolishness. But now I realize that even this was like chasing the wind. Even this was like chasing the wind. For the greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. I thought to myself, as I was reading these things and putting these down in plain English, I thought, you know, when I was a kid, I had no taxes to pay. I had no utilities to pay. I think about the young men that work with us in the ministry right now that sometimes they come out and stay in our ministry center. I don't charge them. You get a room, utilities, a building. No taxes, no nothing. Somebody's got to pay that, you know it. The more buildings you get, just like when I built that building for my son, I turned around and built a building, bought a piece of land, and had the money to pay for it, and put it all together. And then the state and the county and the city came along and put a little toll on it. And although it's only an 11,000 square foot building, taxes this year on that building is a little over $8,000. That ain't never going to get less. That's going to get more and more. Some of you all know what I'm talking about, don't you? Do you ever get anything paid for? No. The more you have, the more you increase your sorrow. The more money you've got to make to keep it all going. The more utilities you have to pay. The more telephone bills, the more electricity, the more gas, the more everything. And then upkeep and everything. The more you have, the greater becomes your wisdom, the greater becomes your grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. As you increase knowledge, you buy things, you know, build things, and with your wisdom, and it increases your sorrow. Isn't that amazing? You know what I've thought a couple of times as I think about these things? You know what you kind of want to do? If I didn't know who I was and I didn't know what was going on on the earth, when I looked at all these things from a manly standpoint, where I am right now, you know what I'd do if I didn't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Do what, Dick? Yeah, that's it. That's exactly right. I would sell everything I had, put the money in a bank. I'd let the little bit of interest, that's nothing now, 1%, 1.5% big interest today on your account, I'd go off somewhere and buy me an acre of land like I had an uncle one time that did this. He lived out in West Texas and he worked for the highway department for years and he worked in the coal, I mean out in the snow. He worked in the rain. He did everything for all those years and retired from the highway department. And when he did, he moved up here up the other side of uh, kind of in the northeast Texas uh, years ago. And there was a little lake up there. 
probably only, I don't know, the lake probably wasn't over 100, 150, 200 acres, not a big lake, but a nice fish fishing lake, had lots of fish. And he went up there and he bought him an acre of land right on the side of the water, and he bought him a brand-new mobile home for about $10,000. Back in those days, he had the money to do it after he sold his house out in West Texas. Bought him that little house and put it there, and him and his wife lived on it until they both died. I was telling Cheryl the other day, I said the, most, the saddest funeral I was ever at in my life was my aunt's son up there. They had, she had one boy when they got married. He was a little guy my age. I used to go out and visit with him when I was a little guy, 8, 10, 12 years old, spend a week with him sometimes in the summer. And I just didn't realize that for he, what he was not being trained, there was really not a whole lot of love there. He was just a kid growing up. He had the bare necessities, but he was not taught the Word of God. He was not taken to church. Although he was treated decent, he never learned how to love. He had no examples. And so when they all moved to West Te- or East Texas, he came too. And he became a mechanic, and he married a girl and had two children, and then later divorced. And when he died, I was asked by his mother to come and preach the sermon for him. I was not, I was just a deacon in a Baptist church. But I went up there, drove up there to preach his sermon. And you know who was at his funeral? His mother, his daddy, and the funeral director, and me. Four people, even his own two children or his ex-wife, did not come to his funeral. You know what that tells me? He never sowed any love. He never sowed any love. If you you are known by your works on this earth, if you don't sow any love, there ain't nobody going to love you. If you sow love, guess what? People are going to return that love. So he didn't ever... Why did he never sow any love? Because he never learned how. Because his daddy, which was my uncle... He didn't know what love was. He just knew how to work. And he worked until he retired and then moved up there and bought that little piece of land. And all they did sat there on that piece of land and fish and enjoy life. And then they both died. And when they died, what happened to it? They died. and when, In fact, he died. The, my uncle died first. And a few years later, she died. Of course, the son died first and, and amongst all that. He's the first one died. And he wasn't but about 40 years old, 42 or something like that, when he died. I was the same age he was. And after he died, then later my uncle died, and then later she died. And when she died, there was nobody. She had a good friend she had met that had a couple of children, and she left that mobile home to that friend because that friend come over to a nursing home and took care of her the last year while she was in a nursing home. I went to see her three or four times in that nursing home. Isn't that amazing? God's left us a pretty tragic existence here on this earth, hadn't He? But how many of us are going to have to go through these things? Every one of us. There's no exceptions to the rule. Everybody's going to be persecuted and suffer, and you're going to have all these problems. There's only going to be a few that's going to get out in all of history. There's going to be a few that's going to get out that's not going to have to die. And that's those that are going to be raptured when the Jesus Christ that we serve, when He returns again and collects us 
uh, as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The rapture is coming. Now let me tell you, I don't know when it's coming, but I know we're one day closer today than we were yesterday. And today we're going to be one day closer. What if it happens this year? Are you going to be ready? If you're not ready for the rapture, you better get ready. Because I'm going to tell you, we don't know, but we know it's not very far in the future. It's not very far in the future. Don't be one of these people that's living where Solomon's talking about, living in vanity or life is meaningless, doing nothing, not loving, not doing, not studying the Word of God, not learning who you are, living where you've lived in the past, just being an average Christian. You might be left. You may be a Christian and you may be left. Hebrews 9.28 says He's coming for those that are looking for Him. I'm looking. And, I mean, there's a lot of controversy on the rapture. Well, let me tell you, the first rapture has already occurred. The first rapture occurred when Jesus was resurrected from the dead and after His resurrection, the tombs opened in Matthew chapter 27, and the dead looking forward to His coming, the Old Testament saints were resurrected to life, and they walked in the streets of Jerusalem, the Word of God says. And then when Jesus went back to heaven, as He ascended back into heaven, all the Old Testament saints went with Him. That was the first rapture, the first fruits of the first rapture. That's already taken place. It's, it's, it's confirmed in the Word of God. They've already gone. Every time one of us die today, after Jesus went back to heaven, when we die, where's the Word of God say we go? To the third heaven to be with God. Now your spirit and your soul go there. You leave your flesh here. Now the Bible says that when He comes back, He's going to bring those spirits and souls with Him that have already died and those that had their bodies in the ground, although they're decayed or whatever, in the sea or wherever they were, when He comes back to catch us away at the rapture, those are going to be resurrected they're going to come forth out of the graves and their spirits and souls are going to re-enter them and the mortal's going to be made immortal and we're going to all go together to be with the Lord. And He ain't going to put a foot on the earth at that time. He's coming in the clouds. And I'm going to give you my two cents worth here and I don't know when it's going to be, but I'm going to tell you, since I believe, since Jesus is a God of order and since He has... He made seven feasts that the people were supposed to go by over in the Old Testament in Leviticus. He said, and these are my seven feasts. And they're to be done at three different times, spring, summer, and fall. And he named them and laid them out and said, and this is the name of them, and this is the dates they're supposed to be done on, and this is what's going to happen. And they kept those feasts, and those feasts, those seven feasts, were a perfect picture of everything he's going to do throughout all eternity. Well, the first four of those feasts have been performed in His death, His burial, His resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Ghost. The first four have been fulfilled to the day completely. I don't believe at all He's going to do those first four feasts and stop without doing the rest of the three. There's three more. The next one is called Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah. Now, I may say that wrong because I'm not a Jew. But 
My Texas accent doesn't let me say all words the same way you say them if you come from somewhere else. So if I don't say Rosh Hashanah right, then don't condemn me. That's the best I know how to say it. But it is Feast of Trumpets. Now then, does anybody have any idea when the next Feast of Trumpets occurs? October 3rd and 4th this year. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Since it's a 48-hour day, and it's a day that no man knows the day or the hour, isn't that amazing? What he named it. And I'm coming on the day that no man knows the hour. Isn't that strange? All these little things he put in here. Wouldn't it be amazing that if this year, on October the 3rd or 4th, sometime during that 48-hour time, you were to look up and there was the king in the heavens. And he looked down and he said, Benjamin, come up here, son. And you go. And it's going to happen how quick? In the twinkle of an eye. I'm going to hear, and this, I mean, this is, I mean, I, it's wonderful. I'd just be standing here preaching the gospel, casting out demons, and some demon coming, and I said, Come out of him, you devil. And all of a sudden, bam, I ain't there no more. And I said, Where'd he go? He's gone. But everything we do on this earth is vanity. Everything's meaningless. So don't let the little things of the world bother you. Get it down like this. Don't sweat nothing but the, I mean, the small stuff. Guess what? Everything's small stuff, right? So don't let nothing bother you this year. If the devil comes up on you with sickness and disease this year, realize that he gave you power over it. And in, the, in these messages that's going to be in the weeks ahead, I'm going to teach these things to you so simple and so powerfully and so direct. If you can't get it, all i got to say is you don't believe this book. I'm going to show you where he did these things for you and he bore your sickness and removed your disease. And I'm going to show you where he gave you power and authority over devils and over sickness and disease and over the earth and over everything, and you have that power in you in the name of Jesus to speak in His name, and He expects you to do it. And when you do it, you're going to see the Lord do great and mighty things. But let me tell you, He's raising up men and women today to teach you these things because He knows what's coming, the judgment that's coming, and He does not want you and I to go through it. Think about this. What if you were there and you had done something to one of these pagan deities and they don't like you because you're a Christian and they get you and your wife and your children and say, now then, I remember you're on this side of the cross after the kings died and gave you all power and all authority in his name. And they bring you up and say, you either bow and you denounce this God that you serve or we're going to cut the heads off of your children right in your presence. You know what the average man does? He falls apart. The average man falls apart because he don't know who he is or what he's got. Well, learn to be like the three Hebrew children. They were living on that side of the cross. But because of their faith, the king walked up to him and said, you three right here, you three men refused to bow down and worship my God. And they said, O king, you may live forever, 
But your God is not God. There's only one God, and it's Jehovah, the God of Israel. And we serve Him and Him only. He said, I'm going to throw you, if you guys, I'm going to give you all one more chance. One more chance I'm going to give you. If I, I'm going to play all these instruments, and when I do, if you guys will bow down and worship that golden image, then I won't throw you in the fiery furnace. But if you don't, I'm going to throw you in that fiery furnace. And they said, we're not going to bow down and worship. They know you should play in the music. He said, I'll heat that thing seven times hotter and throw you in. That's okay. That's okay. You can heat that thing seven times or 70 times hotter. Don't make no difference to us. But we will never bow down and worship your God because the God we serve is not only able, He is willing to deliver us through that fire. Now, how many of you got that kind of faith, huh? And they were on that side of the cross. But because of their great faith, they said, Be it known unto you, we will never worship your God. Because your God is not God. But our God is God, and He is not only able, but He will deliver us through that furnace. Did the king tell you, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you? In fact, the devil has to be subject to you, he said in Luke 10, 19, and 20. We don't believe that. Well, I'll tell you what. In this next year, you better lock those scriptures into your spirit and they better become a reality to you. Because you make some of you, some of us in here, may undergo the same kinds of tests and trials that Nebuchadnezzar put Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to. But they stood in faith saying, We will under no conditions never bow down and worship your God. Because the God we serve, He will deliver us through that fire. Do you hear any faith in that? He will deliver us through the fire. And the king says, heat that furnace seven times hotter. And I mean, they start putting the coals or the wood or whatever they do, and they build some kind of a roaring fire. He said, look, guys, look, I'm not playing games with y'all. I'm going to throw you in there. Bow down and worship. If you'll bow down and worship, I'll let you go free. They said, there ain't no way. We are only going to worship the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He says, grab them three men sitting right there on the front. Take them down and throw them in that furnace. And so they're not fighting. That's just like when I see a movie or something and Abraham has got Isaac and he has to tie him up and he's rebelling. I don't want to be killed. I thought, that's not what the Word of God says. I, I don't think Abraham even tied Isaac. Isaac yielded himself to lay down before his daddy and he was watching that knife come down at him. He was willing to die for his God. But those boys, they said, we know our God is not only willing, not only able, but he is willing to deliver us out of that furnace because he's a faith God. Now then, if you were a child and you had a daddy, do you think your daddy would want you to be burned in the fire? No, but if your daddy was a faith God, then your daddy expects you to know his word and quote his word. If you know his word and quote his word, then he will absolutely do exactly what he said. I'm going to tell you, when I learned these principles, which have all been written in the word of God for years, 
I think about standing just like this last weekend. Caitlin came over and spent a day and a night and a day with us, my grandbaby. And as she's up running and playing and all the things she's doing, I think, Lord, I remember the day when I looked over there and there she lay, tore all to pieces. And every doctor said, it's impossible for her to live. Impossible. No chance. And I said, oh, yeah. The Jesus I serve made me some promises. And I start quoting the Word of God. And your Christian friends look at you and say, now, come on, Thurman. Let's, you know, give me a break. I mean, you know, you've always been a religious fanatic. But, you know, her brain stem is separate. You know, her eyes are disconnected from her brain. Her skull is fractured in five places. And her face is tore all to pieces. And her lungs, she's bleeding everywhere. And her knees crushed and her legs crushed. Thurman, you, you know she can't possibly live. Well, it depends on how big your Jesus is, whether she can live or not. But if you've heard the Hebrew children was, I know my God is not only willing and able, but He will Watch over His Word to perform His Word. Now then, it's going to be up to me to stand on that. That'll put you to the test, won't it, Dick? It'll put you to the test. Now then, what if you've got a grudge against your wife because she didn't fix your supper just right last week? What if you haven't walked in love with your mate and you walk in and God says, Son, I want to do this for you, but I can't. Because you're living in sin. Do you remember that little grudge? you remember that little fight you and your wife had two weeks ago and you've never forgiven her? Well, Lord, surely that couldn't keep me from getting my answer. Well, let me tell you, it'll keep you from getting your answer. How did you say faith works? Through what? Love. Does love hold a grudge against your mate? No. How many of you know where the love chapter is in the Word of God? Where is it? Craig knows. 1 Corinthians 13. Somebody says, how many verses? 4 through 8 is, the, is the, really the crux of it, but read the whole thing. One night my daughter and my son, when it was come time to read the Bible years ago, <coughs> My son and my daughter had just had a little knockdown drag out. I know none of y'all ever had kids that had little skirmishes. But mine had a little skirmish. And she was very unhappy with her brother. Now, they were about eight, nine, ten, somewhere along in there. And so I kind of smoothed things over and I said, Okay, kids, it's time to read the Bible. She says, Daddy, I don't want to read the Bible tonight. I said, Well, it don't make any difference whether you want to or not. We're going to read the Bible. Daddy, I just don't feel like reading the Bible tonight. She said, you read too long anyway. <laughs> she said, Daddy, if we got to read tonight, can I read? I said, honey, that would be wonderful. I just had the Bible closed up just like this. I said, here. Where do you want me to read? I said, you pick a place. So she let the Bible drop in her lap and it opened up and she looked up and she said, where do you want me to start? I said, just anywhere. 
She looked down. She said, children, obey your parents. Daddy, she said, you did this to me. Do you know, I got a big laugh out of that because I knew the king was standing right there directing those pages, wasn't he, Ruthie? Children, obey your parents in the Lord. I mean, she got a hold of that. She just closed that book and said, Daddy, you did this to me. I said, sure I did. I said, God did that to you, not me. You know, when you see God do something like that, isn't that wonderful? You know what he needs to do to a few of his bigger kids once in a while? The same thing. That's exactly right. He needs to do that to us. And you know, he does that far more than we think. But the first thing we've got to do is get in the Word. When you get in the Word and say, Lord, if you will open my understanding to this book, I will read this book today. And if you'll take that book and you'll sit down and you'll read and study God's Word and ask Him for revelation and wisdom... He will give it to you. And just like that song we sang a while ago, the secret of the Lord's companionship, you you have to dwell with Him in love. You can't come to Him bitter and unforgiveness because He's not going to be there. But if you confess your sins and walk in a love relationship to all people, if you take the Word of God in there and you start to sit down, and you look at the Word and you happen to think and you say, Lord, if there's anything that would keep me from reading and getting and understanding and getting a revelation I need from this book today, would you please reveal it to me? And if all of a sudden a list of things begin to flood into your mind. Not one or two, a list. I think about a man that prayed one time and said, Lord, why is there no power in the church today? Why is there no power in my ministry? Lord, I'm teaching Your Word. I'm a pastor of an Assembly of God church, and there's no miracles, but yet the book shows there's all kinds of miracles. What is wrong? So he began to fast and pray. And he fasted and he prayed, and he fasted and he prayed, and he fasted and he prayed, and nothing happened. And then he fasted and he prayed, and nothing happened. He said, God, I know You're a God that speaks to people. Lord, i got to know what's wrong. And then he continued to fast and pray. And then one day he said, I'd had all the fasting and praying I could stand. And he said, my wife started cooking some stew and I got up and I went out there and I poured me a bowl of that stew and I reached out and put that spoon in there and I put it in my mouth. And for the first time in my life I heard God say, is that food more important to you than hearing my voice? He said, no, Lord. So he spit out the food put it back in the bowl, and went back in, told his wife, said, I'm locked that door from the outside, and don't you open it until I tell you I've heard from God. He went in, and he began to continue to fast and pray on his knees over a cardboard box in that closet. Lord, why is there no power in my ministry? What have I done wrong? And all of a sudden, the light came into the room. He thought the door would begin. Oh, he looked, but the door's closed. It's getting light, bright light, golden light. And then he says, I sense something that I've never sensed, the presence of God. He said, Lord, said, son, you want to know why there's no power in your ministry? I went to tell you. And he gave him a list of 13 things he was doing wrong. And then the man says, God, I didn't realize there's so many he said, I looked down in that bright light and there's a pencil. He said, Lord, would you please give them to me again? I'll write them down on this box. 
Lord gave them to him again, slowly, and he wrote them down. There was 13 things that he was doing wrong in areas he was sinning. He was not doing according to the Word of God. And 11 of those 13 was already in the Word of God. But two of them were personal sins that he was doing. How many of your personal sins does God know you're doing, Bob? Everyone. Ain't, ain't, me and you can't get over far enough away that he don't know every thought of our head and our mind and our heart, everything. He knows what me and you do and the intent of our heart every day, doesn't he, Bob? That's how awesome he is. And so that man, he came out and began to take that list and do it and check it off. He said the, the last two things on that list took him years to accomplish. Years. He said the devil made it nearly impossible for me. And every time I'd get close to accomplishing these last two things, the devil would say, you're never going to make it. I'm going to see to it that you don't make it. But he finally did make it. When he finally made it, truly, the Lord whispered into his ear that day when he accomplished the last thing and he was able to consistently walk where God told him to walk, to die to himself daily, to live, to crucify his flesh, to walk holy before him, walk in no sin, to all the things God told him to do when he finally accomplished it and was able to do it on a consistent basis. He said, I heard the Lord whisper in my ear, Behold, I give unto you power. And after that, virtually everything that man asked God for happened. He built a huge ministry. A huge ministry. How would you like to be in a service for... A woman, you get a vision in church. You're standing here, I'm standing here preaching to you, and all of a sudden I see a building. And I stop and I say, wait a minute. God's showing me a building. It's a hospital. It's a maternity ward. And there's a baby being born. There's a boy. And he's got 26 incurable diseases. And the doctors say he can't live a year. He has no eyes. Not blind. No eyes. No ears. Little arms and legs are all twisted and locked. And 26 incurable diseases. And he says the woman takes the boy home. And I see the woman with the boy. And the boy is now four years old. And I see that woman with another man getting in a car. And they're coming. And the woman said, you're in this service today. 4,000 people there that day. 4,000. He said, where's that woman? And she stood up back there. He said, bring that baby up here to me. Number one, you don't go to a place where a man's preaching that those, if miracles are not happening, you don't take a baby like that expecting God to do a miracle unless miracles happen. So she brought that little baby down there, handed it to this evangelist, and he looked at that baby, and he said, everybody pray. Now, the people that come there are people that had faith because they, they knew God did things. There probably wasn't very many people there that had no faith. Some of them had a little, but some of them had great faith. This man held this little child up to God and asked the Father in the name of Jesus to do a complete miracle on this little child. And the first thing happened was a little tongue that couldn't go back in the mouth sucked into the mouth. The second thing happened, 
right before everybody's eyes, whirlpools formed on his face and eyes, ears grew out just like this in one second. Full-size ears. And then the little arms snapped and cracked and come loose. The little legs snapped and cracked and come loose. And a little child that was four years old that had no ears, no eyes, had never seen, heard nothing, jumped down out of the man's, the evangelist's arms, hit the floor, and ran to the edge of the platform and jumped off the platform into the arms of a woman he had never seen or heard and hollered, Mama. And then all eyes go over here and there's 13 wheelchair people over here and all 13 of them instantly jump out completely, totally healed. And then there's 15 people on stretchers over here that are last stages of cancer that are on their deathbeds. They brought in on stretchers laying on the floor and all 15 of them bounce off the floor and they're all jumping up and down praising God like nothing's wrong. And then six blind people walk forward saying we were totally blind, we can see. And in the next hour, screams as garters fall off of people's neck. Tumors fall out from under women's dresses on the floor. People spit up cancers. And out of 4,000 people in one hour, everybody there was healed. How would you like to go to a service like that? Lord, I'd like to be a part of something like that. That man had paid the price. That man walked in love and did everything God says. Now then, if you and I will meet this criteria, which in this next year, we will go over in detail every one of these things because I know what they all are in God's Word. So this year, at different times, we will talk about one or two or maybe three of those things at a time. And I'm not just going to talk about them once or twice because you're just like me. You don't get it one time through. i got to beat it in your head just like I beat it in mine. I have to take the Word of God and read it over and over and over. Maybe I'm a little denser than you, but I don't think so. You know, I think between the devil and the flesh, that's just the way we are. Did you know I'll come here and I'll quote a scripture like Luke 10, 19, and 20, and I had a young person tell me the other day, said, Thurman, I was standing after service and somebody said, Man, that Luke 10, 19, and 20 Thurman talk, said, That's the most awesome verse I ever heard. He said, Have you been here before? He said, Well, I've been here for about the last six months. He said, Is today the first time you've heard him say that? He said, Well, yeah. He said, Do you know? He probably never goes to a service. He don't quote Luke 10, 19, and 20 at least once or twice. And six months in a service, every Sunday, six months later, that person finally, it locked in. Does that mean we've got to go over the Word over and over and over, Bob? Yeah. Because the war we're fighting in the spiritual world, the devil comes to steal these things away. You have to go over the Word of God over and over and over and over. And when you finally do, it finally becomes a reality to you. And that's what I'm going to do to you this year. I'm going to go over these promises. I'm going to show you who you are. I'm going to show you what I've learned. I'm going to show you how to walk in these things. And many of you that have been coming to this church already know this and know how to do it. And many of you are walking in it. But many of you don't. Many of you have never seen a miracle. Many of you have never seen a healing. But if you come here for a while, you're going to see them because God's going to do them for us in this place. He does them all the time, doesn't He, Keith? He's going to do them for you. He's going to do them in your workplace. You're going to become... Just like I got a praise report back this last week, a woman that worked in design of something. I had been working on a design for weeks. And she said, I could not get this thing together. And she said, I happen to be listening to your tape about how you ask God to fix some boilers for you, some complex problems, and you ask Him how to do it. And He revealed to you how to do it, and you were able to do an almost impossible task in just a few minutes. 
She said, I got up and left my desk and went outside and said, Father, in the name of Jesus, forgive me for not asking your help. I'm trying to do this all on my own. She said, this design, I know that just like Thurman said on those tapes, this is the mystery that was hidden before the foundation of the world. In Colossians 1, 27, Christ in me, the hope of glory. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 3 says, all the secrets and the wisdom of the universe is hidden in Christ. And if it's in Christ, he's in me, so I know all that's in there. All I need to do is tap into it. So, Father, in Jesus' name, will you reveal to me this design? Now, thank you, Lord. I'm going to go back in and I'm going to sit down. You're going to give me this design. And I'm going to do wonderful things. And I'm going to tell everybody how I did it in the name of Jesus. She said, I go back in and I sit down at my desk. And I start looking and said, in minutes, not hours or days, in minutes, the design all comes together and it's completely perfect and finished. And she sent us an email the other day praising God for what she had done after she prayed. Does God want to do that through you? Has He done it through me over and over and over? Sure. Is He a respecter of persons? No. So what's the difference when He says, Ask and you shall receive. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Seek and you shall find. What do you think He meant? Exactly what He said, huh, Benjamin? Isn't that amazing? Exactly what He said. Now then, last week we made an announcement that uh, Benjamin had given us a, a list of people I mean, bicycles and stuff that he had sent money. And there was some money given to me last week for, in an envelope designated for a bicycle. Now then, that's a $100 gift. Yeah, that's a $100 gift. So anybody, if there's anybody else wants to give, uh, the minister, our ministry is going to give him some money. And, uh, and somebody else, some others have already given some money. So today, after the service, I'm going to, if he don't let me get away from here, if he'll stay, I'm going to give him the money that's already been given to me. If you want to give a $100 gift to buy a bicycle for these missionaries that go down here in Sudan, isn't that where they are? In Sudan. If you want to do that, then if you put your offering in there, if you write a check to the Living Savior Ministries, and if you mark on the envelope... I want to give $100 for a bicycle, then I'll make sure that money gets to him. Now, I think you needed, what, three or four or five more? Or how many, was there a number on how many you needed, Benjamin? Just, I mean, just, just tell me. Two more? Okay. So, well, if we only need two more, we already got the money. Oh, a few more? Oh, still more. Oh, okay, okay, no problem. Okay, if you want to help us, we'll do that. And so anyway, we'll do that. Right now, also, before we get away from here today, we're going to take communion. On the first Sunday of every month, we take communion. So right now, they're going to pass out the communion trays. We're going to, everybody that wants to help, you men that want to help get up and pass the communion. But I want you to realize now, when you take, you are welcome here in this church to take communion with us but what you need to do before you take communion is make sure you have repented of all your sins. They're going to be passing out the bread and the juice. Now, the bread, go ahead and pass them out. Pass them out. To, yeah, let them have one. Everybody get a, a, a juice, and a, I'll put mine up here. The bread... We use unleavened bread here because it's a symbol of the body of our Savior that was beaten and bruised for our healing. 
by his stripes or by his wounds we were healed. Now, let me explain something to you. Jesus, Jesus, before he went to the cross, in fact, I'll just hold that in my hand. Before Jesus went to the cross in this atonement, he bore your sickness and removed your disease. It's a done deal. It's in the atonement. It's part of it. He told you that in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. He told you in Matthew 8, 16 and 17. And in 1 Peter 2, 24, he said that by his stripes you were healed. Not going to be. You don't, and everybody that prays, believing they're going to have to wait for God to do something in healing, that's why lots of people don't get healed. In fact, also in the last couple of weeks, I've been putting together a series. I don't know how long it'll take me to teach it. I'm going to try to teach it all in one two-hour teaching if I can. Why some are not healed. And I've got about 20 reasons so far that I've already come up with of why people are not healed in the church. And you know what the biggest one is? Corporate unbelief. We've been taught wrong. Corporate unbelief of God's promises is why so many people are sick and afflicted today. He's already done it. He heals you through what He did on the cross, actually before He went to the cross, as they scourged Him and beat Him. By that physical beating, by His stripes, His wounds, you were physically healed. He bore it for you, so you don't have to bear it. All you got to do now, the rest of it, when He says... And you're being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. So as you have died to sin, if you don't sin after you get saved, if we were taught correctly and we walked holy before Him, the Scriptures are clear that tells us that the devil can't touch us. If the devil can't touch you, since all sickness and disease comes from the devil, according to Acts 10.38, then he, you'll never have to be sick again. If the enemy tries to put something upon you, you stand in his face and you tell him where to go. Realizing that if you have your sins confessed, Jesus has already done it for you because of the bread, the body. So when you repent of all known sins, known and unknown, and the devil comes upon you and tries to put some kind of sickness and disease upon you, you just take the Word of God and you begin to quote the Word of God and you tell him where to go. It's amazing what you can do. Just like my grandson the other day. My son and my daughter-in-law, they know a whole lot of the Word of God, but they don't know what Grandma and I know. So we go out there the other day, my little grandson's nose running. Immediately, the first thing we do is attack him with the Word of God. You devil of hell, get your hands off of our grandson. You will not put that runny nose on him in the name of Jesus. We have all power and authority over you. So we command that nose to drop in the name of Jesus. And by the afternoon, guess what? No runny nose. How much power and authority do we have over the devil? All. Don't let him beat up on you. Jesus already bore your sickness and removed your disease because of what he did. By the beating he took. And then he says, with the blood... 
the juice that, that we drink, the wine. He says, now I have died that you being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. So if you stay dead and you live unto righteousness, then you'll have all power over the devil. He will not be able to make you sick or afflict you. And let me tell you, that's a wonderful place to walk. Walk in love. We got them all passed out, James? Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, this piece of bread represents the body of our Savior. And Father, if there's any, any kind of sin that I don't know about, that I missed, I repent. I want to be clean and pure and holy before you. I don't want no sin in my life. I want to walk holy because you said I've died to sin and I should therefore live unto righteousness. So because of this bread, which represents the body of our Savior that was beaten and pierced and bruised for us, when we eat this bread, it represents your body that we take in. You said if we do not eat your flesh and drink your blood, we have nothing in you. So Father, thank you for what Jesus came to this earth to do. So we, as the body of Christ, are healed, and we don't have to be sick anymore. Thank you for healing us. In Jesus' name, amen. And the blood. Wow. I think about the power that's in the blood. And the Jesus that spilt that blood is in you and I. And all we got to do is speak in his name as his children. We walk in holiness and in love, like he said. And he said, speak to the wave. It will obey you. Can you imagine the name of Jesus in a little man with no more faith and he had to speak and command a 30-foot wall of water to stop and it stops? Isn't that amazing what we can do in the name of Jesus? And we run around and lead a defeated life. And we're sons and daughters of the King. And all power has been given to us over the enemy. And all dominion and everything over everything because of what our King did for us 2,000 years ago. Well, this year, the church that's trained, when the devil comes, we're going to be able to be overcomers. And wow, Revelation 3.21 to them that overcome on the earth. I will allow you to sit with me in my throne because I overcame on the earth and my Father allowed me to sit with him in his throne. Now to you that overcome, I will allow you to sit with me in my throne. I don't know about you, but I'm going to be an overcomer. You want to be one? Well, we're going to study the word together this year and we're going to be overcomers because of what the King did for us. We're going to walk in the greatest power and the greatest love this year we've ever walked in. We're going to do what the King told us, and we're going to see Him do awesome things as we speak in His name. Stopping the wind, stopping earthquakes, who knows? What is the limitation? There is none. There is none. Only your faith is our limitation. It's written in the Word. So, Father, we thank You for this Juice that represents the blood of our Savior, which was spilled for us on that cross to defeat all sin, destroy the works of the devil, so we don't have to live there no more. We can live in holiness, righteousness, 
and we can walk in power. And we praise you and thank you because you did it so we can do it also because you told us greater works than these that you've done shall we do in your name. So we thank you, Father, for sending your Son, Jesus, and him spilling his blood for each of us. Help us to walk this week in love with no sin. In Jesus' name, amen. After taking the bread and the wine, breathe right in the face of the devil and remind him who you are, a son or a daughter of God. You know how offensive it is when somebody walks up to you has been drinking and he's breathed in your face? Breathe the blood into the face of the enemy and tell him he has to leave in the name of Jesus. Don't let him do it to you anymore. In Jesus' name. The tumors didn't go away. But he said, last November we brought her here and you prayed for her and they went away. All I got to say is, praise God. You know, praise God. That's what we want. That's what we want to do. We want to walk in obedience to the word. We want to see Jesus do wonderful things. What does it take to make the king, get the king to do these wonderful things? What does it take? Faith and holiness. Faith and holiness. Don't ever listen to anyone that will tell you you can't be holy. Because Jesus clearly said, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Don't ever listen to anybody that tells you you're just an old, unworthy sinner saved by grace. Because you were an old, unworthy sinner and you were saved by grace. But now you're a son or a daughter of the king of the universe. You're a princess of the king. You're a prince of the king. You belong to the family of God. So it's time we start acting like king's children. Walking in the power. I'm going to ask for testimonies here in just a minute, but before I do, I'm going to give you a couple. Some of you were here yesterday. You heard these, but it'll do good to hear them again. In the Dallas Morning News the other day, when it came out after the tsunami... Somebody said, Thurman, on the front page of the Dallas Morning News, it says, man goes face to face with a wave and winds. You need to read that. So that afternoon on the way home, I stopped at three stores where I found somebody that had a Dallas Morning News. I never read the paper. I haven't read it in years. There ain't nothing in there usually I want to read, so I don't waste my time. I don't spend my money buying newspapers. But that day I bought one. Because somebody told me it had something about God in it. So I stopped and bought one. A little double caption on the front page. Wasn't about that long. Right in the middle. And then it says, the rest of the story is on page 25A. So I turned to page 25A, and there was a whole big section. And down in it, it tells about this man that had been a citizen of the United States of America lived in Maryland, had sold his house and all of his property, and moved to Thailand to build an orphanage to take care of children. Now that takes a man, a man of God, to sell everything he's got and go to Thailand. Let me tell you, I know what he's living in. I've been there in Thailand. I've walked the streets of Bangkok. I've walked a lot of places over there in that country. 
I know. And when you give up everything you got here to go over there, let me tell you, the first night I spent in the Intercontinental Hotel in Bangkok, Thailand, when I woke up in the morning, the first thing I saw was green lizards running across my wall. I never saw that in the United States, especially in an intercontinental hotel. But I did in Bangkok, Thailand. There's all kinds of critters over there, snakes and everything else. That's the only place when I was over in, in uh, Vietnam and in Thailand, places when I was over there one night. Here we were. We went in on the first wave of the war in the Vietnam War. Here we were one night laying there in a little throwed up building, had a floor up two or three feet up off the floor that drove some big posts in the ground and built a platform. And then they put a kind of a huge tent over this thing. And they give us cots with mosquito nets as a tent over that. And if the mosquitoes were so big and so many that if you slept against your mosquito net, they'd sting you through the net. So you had to make sure you wasn't leaning against it. So those of you that's never been to Vietnam or Thailand, you don't know what you've missed. It's been a real blessing. You just don't know it. But when you're over there in a war, it's another story. One night or one morning, I woke up, and there was a young man about my age in his mid-20s, early 20s. He had grabbed a big old tent rod off of his bed there, and he'd come at it with a... And I saw him come in, and I thought, this guy's going to kill me. I thought he'd gone crazy. And he started wadding right at my bed, right at the foot of it. He's beating it, and I jumped out. I said, what's wrong with you? He said, don't get on the floor. I said, what do you mean? He said, there's a snake there. Of course, there's no reason why there shouldn't be. You could see through the floor. You know, there were cracks half inch wide everywhere. You didn't drop nothing on that floor because you did. It wasn't underneath the building. But anyway, whenever we killed this snake, a little bitty brown snake about that long. I said, that's no big deal. He said, the, I've heard these snakes over here in this country are really poisonous. Let's take him down to the surgeon and let's ask him what kind of snake this is. I went down and he said, oh, it's, it's natives call that a hundred foot snake. I said, boy, this must have been a baby. I said, they get big? He said, no, that one's full grown. I said, what do you mean a hundred foot snake? He said, that's one of the deadliest snakes on the island. He said, if that snake bites you, it works on your nervous system in a matter of minutes, you are dead. I didn't know how to walk by faith then. I didn't know how to walk by faith. I'm serious. I, I didn't know. But I thought, wow, the things we have to go through. But this man, he had moved from here, Maryland, sold everything and went down there to Thailand and bought four acres of land and built some buildings and started taking in underprivileged children. He had about 30 of them. And he'd been up, he got up at 4.30 in the morning, walk out before the waves and to pray and seek God before he teaches on Sunday morning. He'd been out there praying and talking to God. He said, about 6.30, I came back in. I was in my room. I'm getting ready, and all of a sudden, I hear a thundering footsteps down the corridors, and it was my wife. She comes running in. She said, honey, the oceans are coming. He said, I was just out there a few minutes ago. They were just as calm as they could be. She said, but there's a wave of water coming. He said, I got up and I looked out, and a 30-foot wall of water was coming. 30-foot wall, twice as tall as that wall. Twice as tall as that wall. 30-foot tall. 
He said it was almost time to go to church, and so it normally takes 15 minutes to get everybody in the boat. I screamed at the kids, get in the boat. And the Dallas Morning News said in 10 seconds, every kid was in the boat. I'm telling you, angels of God picked up them kids and threw them in that boat. All of them. Then <clears throat> he said we always had to pull that starter at least three, four, five times for it to crank. He said, I went out there and them kids got in. I reached up and jerked that thing one time. That motor's running. I mean, I see God in this whole thing, don't you? He said, we go ripping down that lagoon. And here comes that wave. 30-foot wall of water. And it's tearing up and killing and destroying everything in its path. Everything. They're watching things being washed away. Trees being knocked down. Everything as it comes in. And he said, here it comes. And here we go down this little lagoon in this little boat with 30 kids in it with a little outboard motor. They're probably going five or six or eight miles an hour. He said, we ain't going to make it. This thing is going to kill us all. All of a sudden, he said, I just scream, in the name of Jesus, stop. And he said, I thought I was imagining things. The wave stopped. And they went right on through to safety. And when they got to safety, the water came in and destroyed everything else. What kind of power do we have in the name of Jesus? Well, let me tell you, as a Christian today, if you don't know and don't learn who you are in the future, those things are going to destroy all Christians that don't believe and don't know who they are. So learn. Learn how to walk by faith. You're going to need it. The wrath of the devil is coming upon this world. He knows his time is short. He's doing everything he can to kill, steal, and to destroy. And he's very good at what he does. The next most powerful thing I believe I've ever heard, a lawyer, a friend of mine in New York, called me this week. A relative of his has a relative that was on a tour bus in Israel in the last few months. And she was sitting beside a man in the bus, about the center of the bus. And all of a sudden, the man jumped up and announced, I'm a terrorist and I'm fixing to blow this bus apart. And he reached to detonate the bomb he had around his middle. That's what they do. They wear bombs strapped around themselves. When they detonate those, it blows them all to pieces. They don't care about life. You know what those men have been taught as Muslims? I don't want this to offend anybody, but this is just the way it is in the Muslim world. If you give your life to kill Christians or Jews, you will immediately be transferred into a harem of beautiful virgins for you to live with forever. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that sound just like the devil? So if you kill yourself on earth, you get to go to a place of heaven where there's going to be unlimited virgins for you. And you're going to get to live with those virgins forever. Sounds like the devil to me. The God I serve said, men, you're to have one wife. And you're to keep her all the days of your life. And she is your joy that I have sent to you. She's your reward from me. He didn't say you could have three or four or a thousand like Solomon. This morning I was reading over in several places in the book of Kings and all over. I come to 1 Kings 11, verse 3. 
It said, and Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. A thousand beautiful women. On the way to church this morning, I told Cheryl, I said, well, I guess I better go out and marry me at least three or four more. If Solomon had a thousand, I will have at least three or four more. She said, when you marry another one, you're going to lose one. <laughs> I said, you mean you're just as narrow-minded as I am? You don't want to share me with nobody, and I don't want to share you with nobody. I said, how about that? Aren't we narrow-minded? Yes, we're very narrow-minded. But that's the way God planned it. But anyway, this lawyer, when this lady said this, uh, this guy announced that he was going to destroy that bus. I don't know what she screamed, but she screamed something in the name of Jesus. The entire bus and everybody in it was totally destroyed and killed. And she was sitting right beside him, and she took no damage. She was not damaged or burned or nothing. Isn't that amazing? By faith in the name of Jesus. You better learn how to be a faith person. Because in the world you live in today, some of these things may seem so foreign to you. But let me tell you, Jesus has told us over and over and over in his word, if you'll believe me and you'll have faith, nothing shall be impossible with you. What do you think he meant? The king of the universe says nothing shall be impossible with you. What did he mean? Did he mean I could have just a little something? Or did he mean I could have all things? I mean, so who are we going to believe? I mean, I'm going to believe the king. The king said everything's mine as a son of God. Everything. He didn't leave me without anything. I don't have to pray for hardly nothing. All I have to do is make sure I don't sin. And if I do, then i got to repent and rebuke the devil. I virtually don't have to pray for nothing. Whenever I rebuke the devil and he leaves, all of the symptoms of whatever he puts on you goes away. Is he going to attack you once in a while? Yes, he is. He definitely is going to. I don't care who you are. You will be attacked at different times with the enemy. That's why the Lord says, take my word and stand on it. And don't ever give up. So when this woman, first of all, this man stood and rebuked that wave, 30 foot tall, and it stopped dead still. But he said, I thought I was imagining things. You know, when he spoke to that thing and said, I stop in the name of Jesus, I command you to stand still, he should have expected that to happen. Not thought he was imagining things. Unbelief in the church of the living God is rampant. We're going to have to get over it. We're going to have to get over it. Unbelief is rampant. We don't believe this book. But just like that woman, whatever she screamed in the name of Jesus, can you imagine she's sitting right beside that bomber? And everybody on that bus was killed. And she didn't have any damage on her body. Did the king protect her? He did. There's no explanation for those kind of things. So we're contacting Alan, the lawyer, friend of mine. We're going to have him get in touch with this person.
that's either a relative of his or whatever, and have them put <coughs> put it together, either in writing, or I would love to have a video clip of it. If they would do that, or at least an audio clip of it, and send it to us, so we could let you listen to it. But I know this man is a great man of God, and he does not lie. Those are two pretty powerful testimonies. Now then, if you've got one that can top that. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm just not serious. If you have a testimony, you want to give glory to God, come up here. Come up here. You want to give some glory to God, come on up here. Tell us something, Miss Kim. Uh, I decided uh, this year, first I'm studying. I would like to have a lot of revelation. I'd like to get into everything Thomas teach me. I'd like to have a revelation rather than analogy. So this year I decided I'm going to start brand new. So I started fast last Sunday, just strict water. And I did it about 18 years ago, around three days twice and five days one time. But it was severe side effect and throw out and sick and headache. So I was hesitant doing it because I don't know what is expected. But when I listened to someone about fasting, I didn't know you could ask uh, Jesus to remove all the hunger, pain, and the headache or symptoms. So I've been prepared last two months, ask the Lord to take out all the hunger, pain, and side effects. So I started last Sunday, and I finished last night at 12 o'clock. And I had uh, no hunger, pain at all from the beginning. Have a, the first day I had a little bit light headache because the caffeine been removed. I had no hungry, no sickness, no disease, just like a normal day. And I worked very hard this week, labor work, because I, was, I am a hairdresser, so I had to work very hard. I had more business than ever been. And uh, I, a lot of people said, they shake their head because they couldn't believe I am six days and I'm still working hard. I want to exercise every single day. But last day, yesterday, enemy taxed me. My back and my feet, my everywhere, whole my body. So I was given up. But I pray, Lord, you are my strength. I can do through you. Amen. And I made it perfectly right. I feel wonderful today. Amen. Thank you, Praise Jesus. The Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well Get it a little higher. I have a praise report. Oh, okay. <laughs> Christy called this past week. My daughter, and she said, Mom, I'm getting a sore throat. We had to sing the next day. And I said, well, I rebuke that sore throat right now. And we stood on Matthew 18, 19. Next day morning, she calls me. She said, I don't have a sore throat. I said, praise God. She said, that's why I woke up and said, praise God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Anybody else? I have Benjamin? <laughs> Uh, praise God. This is a praise report. If you, maybe not all of you, but some of you might have remembered how I was asking for prayers for the Sudan. Because there had been uh, great sufferings there through war and through hunger and sickness and disease. People have really suffered for over 20 years. And about 2 million people had been killed or died for various reasons. And uh, there was great suffering of all types. People were scattered from their homes and 
many of us are outside of our countries. And uh, there had been uh, delays in peace uh, issues. Usually the government would always dodge around and never do anything for years. This particular one took more than four years. And thank God, I want to tell you, the prayers of God's people have been answered. It was yesterday, there, not here. There it was Sunday, the peace agreement had been signed. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That to us is a great joy. And I believe with all my heart, this was through the prayers of God's people. Amen. When I was in Ethiopia, God spoke to me about what was happening. And I wrote everything down. I went and reported it. I wanted to talk to the leaders. But the church leaders, they could not allow me because they thought it was very dangerous to reveal something like that to the leaders. And I told them, all right, if, if you don't want them to hear this, that's okay, but then the war is going to continue and people will suffer until God has done something. And I believe with all my heart, it's not because of the guns of the fighters. No, it is because of God. Amen. And Amen. thank God you have shared in it because you have prayed for the peace of Sudan. Amen. And it has come. Praise the Lord. Praise Glory to God. Glory. All right. Let's talk a little bit about the word. Oh, we got another. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't see you coming. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I want to praise the Lord really strong right now. <laughs> of course, I thank the Lord for the many blessings I've received anyway. But driving over this morning, I was coming along a really pretty good clip over here on 635. And there had been an accident up above and over to the right. And three lanes on my right was just about a standstill pretty much. But the lane that I was in is moving really good. And from nowhere in the, to the right, this big SUV jumps right in front of me, and it was just about 14 feet or so. And here I was running along about 60. And, and just, I tell you what, it really pays to plead the blood of Jesus and the heads of protection over us. Because in just that short, short of time, I mean, my car just came to almost a dead halt, and I could, I could just move right out of the way. And it was just such a peace. Passes that understanding. It was it was wonderful. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. That's <laughs> that a, that is a, a praise the Lord. That could have been a really a bad cracker. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's the thing that that's the thing that uh, bothers me about these freeways. When you got one or two lanes or three lanes that are stopped, and you got a lane that's moving at tremendous speed, if you got any room in front of you, you have to. I always slow down because you got people that are just so crazy. You know, they pull out. In fact, one night I was going up north on 35W, and there was something similar to that happen. There was about three lanes of traffic that was almost stopped, but yet the Huff Lane, which I was in with somebody with me, was moving really good, about 45, 50. And there was nobody in front of me for 200 yards. So all of a sudden, uh, we're driving. In fact, there was nobody in front of me. I take it back. There was nobody in front of me at all. And I'm driving 45 or 50 miles an hour, and all of a sudden I see taillights setting up there. I thought, well, okay, there's a car. I'm talking to the person with me, and all of a sudden I look up, and I realize the person in front of me does not have his foot on his brake, but he stopped. 
He stopped. Don't ever stop in the freeway without holding your foot on the brake. Because I'm running behind him at night at 45, 50 miles an hour. Yeah, and pump it or do something so people behind you will know what's going on. I'm telling you, except for the blood of Jesus, I slammed the brakes onto my car and I stopped about two car lengths behind that guy. If I hadn't looked up when I did, if I had looked at this man I was talking to, another 10 seconds, I would have run right in the back of that guy at 45 miles an hour. That's not exactly a good way to end your Sunday afternoon or any other day. But let me tell you, you've got to pay attention all the time, everywhere you are, both in the physical world and the spiritual world. Father, in the name of Jesus, today as we go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, I ask you to open our hearts and our minds to what Solomon was trying to tell us. Lord, we fight and squabble over things on this earth, and Solomon tells us it's all vanity. It's all worthless. It's all meaningless. And we kill, steal, and destroy for all these things. And what does it mean? In the end, nothing. So help us, Father, to see where you tell us to love one another, to walk in love. That's the best place to walk. Help us, Father, to walk in love with all people at all times. Because this whole thing belongs to you. And you've dealt us really a tragic path. Every one of us are going to go through it. But it was all made for you and your pleasure. You didn't make this thing really for us. It was made for you and your pleasure. You know what you're doing. And I praise you and thank you for the privilege to live on this side of the cross instead of on that side of the cross where Solomon was. Father, thank you. Open our understanding to the Word of God today as we read it and study it in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Solomon, as he's talking, as you read this, you'll see the futility of pleasure. You know, there's people today that try to fulfill their life with pleasure. There's people today that will go to the mall, to the lake, fishing, anywhere. Do all kinds of things except going and spending time with God. Because they're looking for fulfillment in pleasure. Boy, if you don't believe that in America, all you got to do is drive down the highway and see the places. You know, when I was a young man, when I saw a travel trailer, people used to buy travel trailers so they could go out and go on a little picnic or a little outing with their children, and you could buy a little travel trailer that would sleep three or four for a few thousand dollars. But it's not uncommon now to drive down the freeway and see motor homes that cost from a quarter of a million to a half a million dollars. And people are buying those things and touring America. Pleasure. Boats. Used to, you could buy a real nice, nice motorboat for $1,000. Now they got them fifty, sixty, eighty, hundred thousand dollars $100,000 for a boat. And the trailers and the cars. And then you see some guy driving down the road with his four-wheel drive, his trailer and his boat, and all of them are painted just exactly alike. You know he's got a fortune tied up in that thing. But he's not in church on Sunday. Most of them are not. They're on the lake in pleasure. Let's see what Solomon has to say about pleasure. I said to myself, 
I'm living, I'm reading out the New Living Translation today. Come now, let's give pleasure a try. He tried it too. Let's look at the good things in life. But I found that this too was vanity, meaningless. It's amazing. It is silly to be laughing all the time. I said, what good does it do to seek only pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. How many people today do you know that's looking for pleasure in the bar? All you got to do is go to one and you find out. The most miserable bunch of people in the world are in those places. They're looking for love. And you go there and you see them drinking wine and mauling themselves all over another human being. They're looking for love. They may have a sexual experience, but they'll never enjoy it. They'll come down with some kind of a sickness or a disease, and they'll suffer the consequences. They'll never get a hold of what happened to them. Most people never associate the fact that your sickness and disease comes from your sin. When I was a young man, I came to Dallas, the big city with all the big lights. The little dinky town I was raised up in didn't have a bar. We didn't have any alcohol, period. It was a dry community. What a blessing. I didn't know how blessed I was. So I came to Dallas and I met some men here. I went to work here. They wanted to take me down to a bar one night. They said, I said, what, what's, what's a bar? Well, I said, it's a place where alcohol is served and you get to meet some pretty women and you're going to have a real blast there. Well, as an 18 or 19 year old man, a young man meet a young woman sounds like lots of fun. So I went down there and I walked into this place. Wow! When I saw what I saw in that place, when I saw the smoke and the noise and the drinking and the sin that was going on in that place, I told him, I said, this ain't for me. I'm out of here. And I couldn't stay there. But there's many a bar in Dallas and every other city in America that their people are trying their pleasure in wine. Some of them drink it at home. That's okay. If you want to drink wine at home, you are free as a Christian to have a glass of wine or even a glass of beer if you want to. But you know usually what happens to people when they start drinking wine and beer? They never quit with one. Why is it you can drink one Coke and quit? One Dr. Pepper, usually, not always, usually after you get hung on Dr. Pepper, you've got to have two or three a day. My own wife loves Dr. Pepper. So since I love her so much, one day I thought, well, she stops and gets a Dr. Pepper every once in a while, so she loves them, so I'll just stop and get a 24-pack and bring them home. Oh, she read me the right act. What do you mean? I said, well, honey, I love you. I know you love those things. She said, that's my problem. I can't 
control myself when Dr. Peppers are in the house. I said, well, learn a little discipline. <laughs> learn a little discipline. So she worked diligently at it. I think that first case, she only drank one or two a day. But let me tell you, it's hard to fight temptation when it's in the refrigerator. Especially if you love it, right? Y'all all know where I'm coming from, right? If it's not there, you don't have to fight it. That's why I tell people like I heard a preacher say here a while back. Mama called to Johnny and said, Johnny, where are you? He said, Mama, I'm in the kitchen. I'm fighting temptation. <laughs> what are you doing? He said, I have my hand in the cookie jar. And you told me I can't have any cookies till tonight. But I'm fighting temptation. Mama said, Johnny, get your hand out of the cookie jar and go outside. And it won't be near as difficult to fight. <laughs> How many of you know that? When you got your hand in the cookie jar feeling them cookies. They're soft. They're chocolatey. Woo! You know, you think, wow. I just, ah, I'll just eat one. Just like John Hagee says. Of course, it shows on him pretty good. John Hagee says himself, he said, I go by the refrigerator and at least six or eight of them big coconut, or six or eight of those big chocolate chip cookies jump out of the refrigerator into my hand. I thought, when I heard him say it, I thought, it's pretty obvious that that really happens to you, John. He's way overweight. You don't get overweight when you control what you eat. But temptation, fighting temptation, pleasures. Solomon says, pleasure in wine. Many people try it. They're looking for something. You know what everybody's looking for? God. That's what they're looking for. And they've tried to find it in everything except God. So Solomon says, I even tried wine. Today we don't limit to wine. We go to drugs and all kinds of things. And all of those things leads to death. Smoking one cigarette won't kill you. But smoking one or two or three packs a day over 10 or 20 or 30 years will. So it's just a slow way. So when the Lord says sin brings forth death, it depends on what kind of sin you're doing as to how quick it kills you. I have seen sexual sins between young people kill them in a matter of one to five years. And then I've seen others that live in it for 10 or 20 years or 30 years and have no reaction. You know what the difference is? Think about this a minute. What if one person, and I can tell you two young women I've dealt with, one of them died at 21 after three children, the other one died at 25 after two children. Both of them lived with a boy out of wedlock and brought children into the world. Lived with them just like they were married to them. And both of them died within a very few, five to seven years, both of them died. One of them had a heart failure, another had cancer. And it killed both of them. Why can't another person live with somebody out of wedlock for 20, 10, 20 years and nothing happened? Why? You have any idea? You ever stop to think about it? If that kid across the street 
if he's sinning or if he's breaking out windows in that house over there and he's not your kid, what are you going to do to him? What are you going to do to that kid over there? Nothing. What if he's your kid? You're going to, you're going to, he's going to suffer the consequences, right? That's the difference. People that live in sin that don't suffer the consequences, they don't know the king. They're not his children. Kind of scary, isn't it? God says, I judge my own. He won't let you live in sin 20 or 30 years and be his without judging you. People say, I, wonder, I don't understand these things. Well, let me tell you, this is why. God says in his word. But he says here, I tried wine. While still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I hope to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. Life is very brief in this world. Somebody says, well, my goodness gracious, my daddy lived to be 65 years old. He was an old man when he died. Cheryl and I was out at the minister center last night, and she's looking, flipping over the calendar. And she come to November, and it said Cheryl's 58th birthday. And she said, oh, my goodness. I said, isn't that amazing, honey, how fast they go away. When you were 20 years old, a 60-year-old was ancient. I mean, when I was 15 years old and my daddy was 35 or 40, oh, I guess that's right, he was 35 years older than I was. So I said, when I was 15 and he was 50, I mean, here I was young and vibrant and able to do anything and dad's 50. I remember coming in one afternoon, dad sitting in his chair, 50 years old. I mean, he was ancient to me. I mean, after all, he's my daddy and he's old. He's 50. Because I'm just 15. I said, Dad, what's wrong? He said, oh, I hurt my back out there today lifting some of them heavy parts on that bulldozer. I said, what can you do about it? He said, just take an anise and then go on. He said, son, when you get old like me, pain's just a way of life. Just take another anise and then do the best you can. My dad never learned what I learned about this book. He never got there. Although he lived to be 79 years old, he never learned the power of God's Word. He was a normal Christian. Normal. But my dad worked hard. He provided for us. We didn't have much at home. We were what I would call today a very poor family. We had a little tiny frame house. When we first moved to Goldsweight in that little tiny frame house, it was just a board and bad house. And we had the wallpaper wallpapered on the inside of the boards. So when the wind blew from the north, the wallpaper would flop on the inside of the house. You know? Everybody around us lived the same way, so no big deal. Then finally one day, years later, when Daddy went in and studied the walls, put some electric wires in the studs, and put sheetrock on the walls, wow, what a house. I thought we'd died and gone to heaven. I can remember standing in the morning, jumping out of bed with so much cover on you couldn't turn over. Some of y'all been there. 
jump out of bed and run in. Mother had that big old wood belly, pot bellied stove, roaring, red hot. You could stand there like this and burn up on this side and freeze on this side. <laughs> That's the way it was. Today, Cheryl and I can get up in the morning. We can get up and we can have. <clears throat> Get up and go in and take a shower, and it's the same temperature in the bathroom as it was in the bedroom. Beautiful. Don't you enjoy the blessings we God has given us today? You know, I used to have to get up in the morning, and you waited until you had to go, because when you got up in the morning, you walked out the back door and about 200 yards to the little two-holder on top of the hill out there, and it had an open back in it. And when you sat down on it, if there was a wind blowing, it was cold on your bottom side. Some of y'all never lived there, and praise God. But you don't know what you've missed. I hope you don't ever have to go there. I've been there and done all those things. Some of you in this room have been there and done all those things, too. So you know what I'm talking about. But Solomon's trying to find, find pleasure, and he's telling us the futility of pleasure. He's seeking everywhere for it. But he says, only in these things, most people find the only happiness some people will ever find, what little they have, they will find them during in this pleasure of drinking and all these crazy things during their brief life in this world. What if you live to be a hundred? It's still very brief. I've had 66 of those. Yesterday, not yesterday, but the other day, a man that goes to this church, he said, Thurman, I wish I could get you with my daddy. He said, my daddy's the exact same age you are. And since this, my daddy's been 50, he's been an old, wore-out man, and today he's in a wheelchair. He can't get around. But he's constantly said with his mouth ever since he's 50, I'm old and wore-out and tired. You don't know why he's sitting in that wheelchair? He spoke it with his own mouth. He's killed his flesh with his own mouth. You know why I'm still running around doing everything I want to do at 66 years old and strong as a bull ox? It's because I've learned how to speak the Word of God. I've learned to walk in faith. Just like one of the ladies that came up here a while ago, I told her about that man that brought his granddaughter Two, two months ago, two and a half months ago. He said, I'm a man of God and I prayed for that girl. We've all prayed for her and those tumors will not go away. He said, I brought her to you, you prayed for her and they went away. Faith is what makes that work. Now then, the only thing I'm sad about, I don't have enough of it either because yesterday I had a little, little guy that was crippled right here in the wheelchair on the front. I prayed for him and didn't see anything happen. If I had enough faith, <clears throat> I guarantee I could have seen the king of the universe pop that little boy back in place and make him normal. You know what Jesus would say to you and me today? Oh, you of little faith. That's what he would say to me. So what do you think he's going to say to you? Oh, you of little faith. 
I've given you a book full of promises and told you what to do. Told you how to walk holy. Just like that story I told you once before. Some of you may not know this, but there's a pastor. They carried us to an airport the other day. And he wrote me an email afterwards. He said, after you left, and I heard you speak three days on holiness. He said, I made a decision. I said, God, I've been a Christian for 35 years. I've been a pastor 18 years. And I have never really made an effort to walk holy before you all the time. But after hearing Thurman preach those messages, I'm going to make an effort to walk holy before you every day of my life. And he said, God spoke to me and said, it's about time. Isn't that amazing? It's about time. He said, so I repented, and my 21-year-old daughter that had been living in sin, which I'd prayed and prayed for, and nothing ever had happened. When I repented and told God I'd walk holy before him, the next day, my 21-year-old daughter came home and repented. Somebody said, that couldn't possibly have any effect on your children. Let me tell you, your sins have an effect on your children. If you want God to bless your children, you need to walk holy before Him. If you live a life of hell in front of your children, that's what your children are grow up to know. Don't live like that in front of your children. Your children will become exactly the same thing you became. Depends on where you want them to live. It's a shame that so few people know and understand God's Word. Solomon was looking for pleasure. He said, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. <clears throat> How many people do you know that's done that? That's us guys that want to be 25 years old, already been to college. We want to be the best. We want to be handsome. We want everything. We want to be perfect in all of our physical attributes. And we want all the women to fall for us. We want the business world to fall for us. And we want to build an empire and be worth a million dollars when we get to be 25. That's a dream of almost every young man. You know why it don't happen for most of them? It's because they don't serve God. Think of the men. I think about a football player here in the Dallas area a few years ago. My son watches football all the time. He loves it. So when he was at home, if I was there, I had to have a football game on if it was being played, especially if it was Dallas. Although I've usually never sat and watched it, I'd come through and see it. And he'd tell me about, Dad, look at that guy, best runner. I mean, he made all. He knew exactly who he was, how many yards he had made rushing in every game. He said, he's so good. Then I found out just a few years later, at about 28 or 29, they throwed him away. He couldn't do what he used to do when he was 20, 21, 22. They throwed him away, and now the IRS is getting him because he can't pay his income tax. He's broke, and he's made millions, millions. Isn't that awesome? You think, gee, somebody give me a million dollars. I can do something with it. I never met a Christian that really served God, that knew what he was doing. If you give him a million dollars, or her, if she was a dedicated son or daughter of God that walked wholly in obedience to God's Word, I guarantee they could take a million dollars and turn it into two to ten in the next 30 years if they were really children of God. 
Now, you take a young person of God and give them money, and the first thing they'll do with it is go out and buy a new car and spend every bit of it. That's just the way especially young men are made. They're looking for pleasure. They want to drive down the street in their convertible and pick up all the pretty girls. Not thinking about life. They don't have a clue what's going on on the earth. But Solomon's trying to tell us. So I went out and built big buildings and vineyards and all kinds of stuff. Think of the people that do this. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I, brought, I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. <clears throat> others were born into his household with 700 wives and 300 concubines. He must have had a lot of kids. I can't fathom that. I have more trouble than I can deal with with one beautiful woman. <laughs> I hope you don't take that wrong, honey. What would I do with another one? And much less, what would I do with a thousand of them? Wow! Let me tell you. I can only imagine. I just Women had to be nothing back in those days. I don't understand how they could do this. I just don't understand. Because these women that he married, beautiful women, they were all foreigners. They brought their gods with them. And did you know Second Chronicles chapter 14, verse 10, says that God appeared to Solomon twice. And told him to stop doing what he was doing with these foreign, strange women. Now, God didn't just tell him in the Word. He appeared to Solomon twice and told him what he was doing wrong. Sherry, if God was to walk up to you one night and say, Sherry, my dear, I don't like what you're doing. I want you to change this. Okay. <laughs> you think you would change? You think so? Boy, you better know so. But Solomon didn't. His desire for beautiful women was so strong, he never stopped, even though God told him twice. Do you know what? I wonder if Solomon's in heaven. I never read anything in the Scripture where Solomon was in heaven. I read a lot of things where David was there, but I never remember reading anything where Solomon was there. So I don't know. I don't know. God is a judge, but he tried to, he sure wrote a lot of the book. Wouldn't that be awful to think with all that wisdom and all that power if he didn't wind up in heaven after all this? After he wrote the book of Proverbs, after he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, wrote the Song of Solomon, and all the different things he wrote and still didn't make it to heaven. Would that be awesome, David? That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? But I don't know. But God's a judge. He'll be my judge and your judge. He said he bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned great herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who lived in Jerusalem before me. 
I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. And I had not just one or two singers. He hired many. I had wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines, and I had everything a man could desire. Everything. There was nothing left out. His heart's desire was given to him. So I became greater than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. And with it all, I remained clear-eyed so that I could evaluate all these things. Maybe God let him go through all these tests to write this book just for you and I. Do you know God will put you through a test sometime to do something to save somebody else's life? And you won't like the test. I told Cheryl this week, I said, honey, anytime I do something stupid that you don't understand, instead of getting mad at me, like it's so easy to do when we do something our mate don't understand. I want you to jump right up in my face and say, Praise God, I thank you, Lord, for this test you're putting my husband through. <laughs> Y'all understand where I'm coming from? When I've done some of the things I've done, there's been times when people thought I was crazy. They couldn't understand me. Let me tell you, I don't understand me. So join the club. When I walk up to a hospital room and the Lord speaks out of my mouth and tells a man I've never seen before in my life. After I've got the man's sins confessed and everything and after I've laid hands on him and prayed for him and God speaks out of my mouth and says, Now then, because you've done everything I required of you, I'm going to let you go through your surgery tomorrow. And instead of a zero to a 10% chance, like the doctor said, I'm going to give you a 100% chance you will fully recover from your surgery. And as long as you will, and in three weeks you will go home from this hospital. And in two months you will go back to work. And as long as you walk in love before me, I will let you live to be an old man. That comes out of your mouth. Where did that come from? I don't know this man. Who spoke out of my mouth? God did. People say, God wouldn't speak out of your mouth. Yes, he will. He'll speak right out of your mouth. And there's times he'll do things through you and to you in trials and tests that he's bringing you to a new level. And I guarantee you won't like the test. Because I told him one day this last week as I was going to the minister, I said, God, I'm fed up with these tests. I'm tired of them. How many of you ever been there? A few of you, huh? What did he tell us to do about the trials and tests? Fuss and complain? What did he say do? Well, what's wrong with us then? Why was I fussing and complaining? Why wouldn't I pray? Saying, praise God, thank you, Lord, for this test. Because I didn't like the test. You see where I'm coming from? Even a pastor, you can forget who you are. You can forget the word. Especially when the devil tries to put you to the test. I can only imagine... The night that King David, King David, he had a lot of wives also. A castle full of beautiful women. He should have been at battle with his men, but he stayed at home. Getting a little older, you know, so he don't want to go to battle. He got a lot of men to fight for him now, so he stays at home. 
So one night he goes up on top of the castle and he looks down. And there is a beautiful woman taking a shower in an open shower from the top. He looks down at her and I can just see the devil say, Wow, look at that. Wouldn't you love to go to bed with that? You know what all David had to say? Hey, if I want to go to bed with somebody, i got a hundred of them down here, just as beautiful as she is. They're my wives. I can go down to any one of them I want to. But what did he do? He yielded to that voice. Yielded to that voice. Does people today yield to the wrong voice? Yes, we do. When it comes to drugs, alcohol, sex, everything imaginable, we yield to the wrong voice. The devil gets most Christians the minute a symptom comes upon us. We immediately yield to the symptom. We yield to the devil instead of the Word of God. He's good at what he does. He's been in the business a long time. And because David yielded, and went in and lied with that woman, which wasn't his wife. And then she conceived, and then he called her husband in and tried to kill him. And then he did kill him on the battlefield. And then because he killed the wife's husband, and because he had had sex with a woman that he shouldn't have had sex with, and she got pregnant, it cost the baby its life. The baby died. And then after that, the prophet came in and told him, David, why did you give place to my enemies? If all you had wanted was another woman, I would have given you another beautiful woman. All you had to do is ask me. But you didn't. So because you didn't and you sinned, the curse has come upon you and your family. Now your wives will be raped in the sight of everyone to see on the housetops. And your children will kill each other because of your sin. Was that a very serious consequence? That ought to make every man and woman think before they sin. Sin always has a consequence. So don't go there. He says here, He became greater than all the kings. I did not restrain myself from any joy. I even found great pleasure in hard work. Boy, he was something else, wasn't he? That was my downfall. I found great pleasure in hard work. I loved working. An additional reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. I think about the 30 years I spent as an engineer. <clears throat> I traveled over this country. I designed and built buildings and equipment. And I spent hours, many hours, some days, 24 hours a day, doing things to move the hand of men to show them what I could do in the name of Jesus. And I did some awesome things, I'll have to say. Because I served God, and He allowed me to do those things. And some of the things I did blew men away, what they saw me do in the workplace. 
all that stuff I'd done after all those years, nearly 30 years, 29 something something years with a company, because I got too strong with the Word of God, they just walked in one day and fired me. Isn't that something? The company you worked for for 29 years. It's all meaningless. Now then, the people that was down here, the HR people that moved in down here at DFW Airport and over at corporate that fired me, the general manager and everything, I talked to one of the men that used to work for me over there, and he said, oh, Thurman, why don't you come over and have dinner with me someday? I said, gee, I could come over and have dinner with you. He said, sure you can. The general manager and all the HR people and everything is all brand new. Nobody knows you anymore except the old people. And said, they all love you. I said, come over. You have full freedom in this place. It's all meaningless, isn't it? So the general manager that worked in that place that didn't, because he was a, uh, I start, I'm trying to think what uh, religion he was, but it's one of the cults. And because of HR, which said they were Baptist but never went to church, I tried to tell them, you need to be in church, guys. And they didn't like it at all. I offended them. So they looked for every loophole they could to fire me. I couldn't find nothing wrong with my job, nothing I did, because I did everything perfect. But what I did, I did in the name of Jesus, and that broke the rules of the company, supposedly. When you pray for people and people start getting miraculously healed on the job site, let me tell you, you've got to stop using the name of Jesus. No way. So they fired me. What a wonderful thing to get fired for. The name of Jesus. Can you imagine hearing this little lady? I think she's probably lost. Little Spanish woman, probably 50. Little cafeteria cook, probably works for, back in 10 years ago, probably worked for six, seven dollars an hour, maybe five or six. Burned her arm really bad in an oven, screaming all the skins burn off of her arm. I mean, I hear that. I hear her screaming, running down the corridors. I see this woman with all these big old burns on her arm. Everybody's pouring water on her, putting oil on her. They're getting the first aid kits. They're doing everything. Nobody uses the Word of God. It don't work anymore. So we must think. I run up there and lay my hands on her arm. Quote Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Mark sixteen eighteen, and Mark eleven twenty three, and then I say, woman, I guarantee you'll get a supernatural healing from the king. And in minutes, her pain is gone. She won't even go to the doctor. But the next morning, when she comes back to work, there's not any burns or any scars on her arm. Who could have possibly showed up? Only our king. He was trying to get the attention of those people. The people receive the power of God. They always got something else to explain it away. You know what the little woman that received the miracle said the next morning when she came to work? When one of the little Christian ladies, when she looked at that and saw that, she said, she screamed, my goodness, another answer to Thurman's prayer. She had never seen an answer to prayer until I came there. After I came there, that little lady saw so many answers to prayer. After I was fired, you know what that little woman done? She left the company herself and went to Bible school and is now teaching the Word of God herself. She said, your walk with God so changed my life forever. 
She said, I never saw a human being walk in the power of God until you came here. What is wrong with us? I mean, is this power given to only one person? Who's he given to? The church. Jesus said, these signs shall follow them, the church that believes. We shall cast out demons. We shall speak with new tongues. We shall handle the devil with our hands with no harm. If we drink any deadly poison, it won't hurt us at all. And we shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. What is it we don't understand about that? That's pretty clear, isn't it? When's the last time you acted in faith and done something? Faith without works is dead. Solomon was on this side of the cross. He didn't have the power that we have. Look what he said. I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, and it was all so meaningless. It was like chasing the wind. If you work for somebody else, do them a good job. But don't spend 16 hours a day in the place as a manager because they're not going to really appreciate that anyway. And the next boss that comes in won't know who you are. They will forget you. Do a good job because you're a Christian. But don't do a good job at the cost of your family. Do you all know where I'm coming from? Some of you work like I did at your workplace and you lived and breathed your job. I can remember mornings getting up at 4, going out to the airplane, getting on an airplane, and being in Chicago at 8.30 or 9 in the morning. That's when everybody else went to work that lived there, and I'd come halfway across the world. I thought if they went to work at 8.30, I needed to be there when they got there. I did that for years. And then I'd work all day long and sometimes till 9, 10 o'clock at night. I think, well, I'm up here. I'm not at home. So I'd get things done. So I might stay out there and work till 9, 10, 11, or 12 o'clock at night. I did that far too many nights. The VPs I worked for, they loved me because I'd done a super job for them. They loved it and they praised me for it. But guess what happened to all them men? They're working somewhere else, and I'm out of the workplace. And I, I drive down the street, and I think, look at that building over there. I look at two of these buildings at DFW Airport I built. The leases run out on them. They took them over. Somebody else did, and they went inside and gutted everything out of them and completely redone them. And everything I put in them is destroyed. I thought about one day a special system I designed for some ovens. Right, some 400-cycle ovens on American Airlines. My company needed a 400-cycle generator just to fire them test ovens, which cost $35,000. They called me and told me, we'll give you $35,000 in your budget to buy that generator so you can put in those test ovens. I said, gee, the only thing that's 400-cycle in that oven is the fan. I said, everything else is just a heating element. It don't know frequency. I said, let me design the frequency transformer and put it together with a set of relays, and I can put it together and build some mojitos off of house current. And I built and designed the system in a box about this big. It cost me $1,000 to build it, and it worked perfect. Saved $34,000.
Where does that knowledge come from? From God. My company was ecstatic. They thought, wow, this is something. You built this for a thousand when a 400 cycle generator is going to cost us 35,000. I said, yeah. All you got to do is serve God and ask Him. He'll show you how to do anything. Well, about two or three years later, the company had been bought. Somebody else bought us. And the building where I did all that work built this kitchen. Beautiful thing. I went over there and they leased it to somebody else, and everything in it was changed. And I needed that unit to put in another location. And I asked the man from the corporate headquarters that supposedly renovated the building. I said, when I got over, that box wasn't where I'd built it and put it in, up in the roof. I said, what happened to that big silver box that had all them relays and them transformers in it? He said, we didn't know what that was, so we took it down and threw it in the trash. So the company said, build another one. I said, no. You want another? Pay $37,000, $35,000 for a generator. Solomon learned the same things I learned. Everything in life is meaningless. I gave hours of my time to build and design that piece of equipment. I stayed hours after work laying out on paper designing all them circuits to put that thing together and then somebody throwed it in the trash. Isn't that amazing? Everything's meaningless. Sure, if you're going to do something as a Christian, do it good. But don't give all of your life to those projects because it's meaningless. We as Christians spend too much time in the world and not enough time with our families. Not enough time for sure with God. You know, used to when I was a Christian, a young man, if I spent an hour a week reading the Word of God, I can remember coming in from out of town, working. Maybe we'd have something to do on Saturday. And Saturday night, I'd run in after kids were in bed and everything else. Everybody's gone to bed but me. I might go in there from 10 to 11 or 11 to 12 and read the Bible for an hour because we had a Bible study the next morning. I mean, I wasn't teaching it. I'm just going. I'd read one hour reading fast a book that we're supposedly going to be studying the morning. What did I learn? Nothing. You know what God would have probably said about me if I said I'm a Christian and I'm putting you first, God? He'd have probably said, you make me sick. If you spent one hour a week with your wife, what do you think she would do for you? One hour a week? And then it was real quick. You didn't spend really any time with her. You walk up to her Saturday night at 11 o'clock and say, Okay, honey, what do you got to tell me? Right quick, you got one hour and it's over. I'm out of here. She said, If you're in that big a hurry, don't worry about me. Go somewhere else. And we do God like that all the time. All the time. Solomon said, All this is meaningless. Listen to what he has to say in the next few verses about the wise and the foolish. So I decided to compare wisdom and folly. He's trying everything. I mean, he's comparing everything in this book. And anyone else would come to the same conclusion I did. Wisdom is of more value than foolishness. And I'll be happy to agree with that. It's good to have wisdom. But far too many people live in the foolishness of the world. Just as light is better than darkness. For the wise person sees 
while the fool is blind. You know any fools? You know any blind people? They got their eyes wide open, looked like they're seeing. I know a whole bunch of them. A whole bunch of them. Yet, I saw that wise and foolish people share the same fate. Both of them die. What's going to be your fate? So you're a Christian and you're wise. Or you're going to die? Some people say, I'm not going to die. Well, let me tell you, i got news for you. Get ready. It's coming. And for some of you, it's coming quicker than you think. You never know when your life is over. Solomon didn't understand what we have knowledge and revelation on today. Although God had appeared to Solomon twice and talked to him, he knew God was real. But God didn't share the things with Solomon that he shared with us. He has shared with us, his church, things that Solomon had no knowledge of. We have power and authority that Solomon didn't even know was available. He didn't know this. He didn't know that 2,000 years later Jesus was going to come and die and defeat the devil and give you and me power over him. Solomon didn't know that. He was wise enough to know that there was a devil and demons. He knew the oppressor was there and that he had great power because he wrote it in this book for Ecclesiastes. Just as the fool also will die, so will I die. So of what value is all my wisdom? Then I said to myself, this is all so meaningless. For the wise person and the fool both die. And in the days to come, both will be forgotten. How many people on the earth today do you think remember this magnificent king called Solomon? That his name's written 272 times in the Old Testament. Had great power and authority with God. Did all kinds of things. Never been a wiser man. Never been a man with greater power and wealth. Never lived on the face of the earth besides Solomon. Had the most beautiful buildings and temples. Gold-plated and everything. And who knows him? You get outside the church, they don't know who he is. In fact, lots of people in the church never heard of Solomon. Isn't that amazing? What was his fate? Did he die too? Yeah. Just like you and I. So he's trying to tell us. And then he said the futility of work. Let's see what he has to say about work. So now I hate life because everything done under here under the sun is so irrational. I just hate life, he said. Everything is meaningless. Like chasing the wind. I am disgusted that I must leave the fruits of my hard work to others. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? You don't know that. And yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and my hard work. How meaningless. I think about a man that lived in West Texas. He was a lost man. He didn't know Jesus. He raised five kids. He had a wife. And raised five children. 
A friend of mine lives out there and has a lot of land. I was out there visiting him one day. He said, Thurman, you see that piece of land right there? I said, yeah. He said, that belongs to so-and-so. He said, you see that hill right there? I said, yes, sir. He said when he died, he wanted to be buried on that hill standing up. I said, what in the world was a stupid request like that? I said, did they bury him there? He said, no, of course not. They buried him in a cemetery. I said, what was his reason? Did he tell you? He said, oh, yeah, he told me. He said, I want to be buried right there on top of that hill, the highest hill on my, all this, they had thousands of acres of land. He said, I want to watch my kids fight over this piece of land when I die. I thought, what a man of hell. Only a man that's lost, that has no knowledge of the king that you and I know could make a stupid statement like that. And he had been dead, I think, that friend of mine said, five years at the time. And said, it's still locked up in court to this day. He said tens of thousands of dollars have been spent by attorneys. He said before it's all over, the attorneys will own it all and the kids won't get nothing. That fool. That's the one God would call a fool, you know it? If a man had that kind of an empire, if he'd have been a man of wisdom, he could have left that to those children in increments however he wanted and there would have been no fighting, no squabbling, and each child could have walked away with exactly what he gave them. There would have been no fight and no battle. But that man was a fool. He didn't know Jesus. He was a man that Solomon would call a fool. A lost man. But the man that's got wisdom, the end result is the same. Both of you are going to die. Praise God. At least today we know when we die as Christians, we know what the results is going to be. Solomon didn't know that. He clearly said in this book of Ecclesiastes, when I die, I don't know whether I go to heaven or, to, or down. I don't know where I go. God did not reveal that to him. He didn't know. But he's revealed it to you and me. We know today when we die, we know exactly where we're going. We're going to heaven to be with the Lord. Boy, isn't that comforting to know that? These people didn't know that. Solomon had no knowledge of this. But until all these men lived and died, until Christ came, nobody went to heaven. They all went down. There was, according to the book of Luke, there was two compartments in the center of the earth. One of them was air-conditioned comfort. I can only think what an air-conditioning system it must have taken for God to air condition the center of the earth to make it perfectly comfortable when the rest of it's tens of thousands of degrees around it. Do you know that 25 miles down the earth is solid, molten, white hot metal? Tens of thousands of degrees? I mean, it's hot. It's molten. And it's been like that ever since it was created. It's never cooled. Only the little teeny, tiny, tiny percentage of the surface it's got dirt on it, and it's cool that you and I live on. And every once in a while, one of those little things gets a crack in it somewhere, and one of those things blow out and erupts somewhere. And whenever a little bit of water runs into one of those things, like it did in Mount St. Helens here a few years ago, a little bit of that seawater came in through a crack and ran into that molten, white, hot stuff, 
And when that water hits that, what happened? I mean, it blew the lid off. It blew the top of a mountain off, and it blew tens of thousands of feet high, and there was ash and dust covered the biggest part of the United States, Mount St. Helens. Awesome what's happening in these last days, isn't it? The Lord said all these things are going to be signs of the birth pains just before I return. So get ready. He's coming. Get ready. So he says, I turned into spire from hard work. It was not the answer to my search for satisfaction in this life. How many of men are like I was, worked hard all their life? And then how many men do you know that I used to work with would say, oh my gosh, I can't wait till I'm 62. I'm so old and I've worked so hard at these jobs, I just can't wait till I can retire and sit down and do nothing. They found out hard work wasn't the answer to what they wanted. None of these things are your answer to life. There's only one answer, and it's finding Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Then you can be happy in anything you do when you find the King. For though I do my work with wisdom, with knowledge, and with skill, and that's what every one of us as Christians should do our work, just like Solomon did, I must leave everything I gain to people who haven't worked to earn it. Think about that. I think about the years I worked. I bought that land out there in the country close to Justin 25 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever it was, 1969, whatever that would be. No, it wasn't in 69. It was 78 I bought that land quite a few years ago. And I can remember going out there and working on that land, building fences. Hours I built fences. Then years I worked on that house. Hours. I can remember one night I was up in the top of that house and I was up there nailing, doing some things, and it was nearly 2 o'clock in the morning. And I remember laying down over one of those beams, exhausted. I said, Lord, I'm so tired. Am I ever going to get this house built? Doing it by myself in my spare time. Then I raised up and looked up and I said, Well, Lord, I'm a whole lot further ahead than I was two years ago when I started. It took me five years to build that thing. Firstly, built it by myself. Five years. Big house. Big house. I thought it'd be wonderful for my children, for my family. It'd be a wonderful place to live. And then one day, I found myself walking around that house all by myself. Meaningless, isn't it? Nobody's there but me. Everything I built for everybody else, they're not there anymore. Life is meaningless unless you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's what Solomon's trying to tell us. You're going to give it to people that didn't work for it. You're going to hope they're going to do something with it. Think of a man that was so selfish in his life that he would never 
bring children into the world. I don't want kids. I want a wife. I want to enjoy the benefits of a wife, but I don't want no kids. And for sure, don't want no grandkids. So one day, they come along in life and everything's going good. And all of a sudden, about 60 years, his wife dies. And from 60 to 85, he lives. There's no children and no grandchildren. Everything he's built and worked for, the houses, the lands, the empires and everything, what's he going to do with them? Who's he going to leave them to? Who is there to leave them to? No family. No family. It's meaningless, isn't it? Who's going to get it? The government. Unless you figure out somebody you want to give it to. Life is absolutely meaningless. And you know what we do? Just like a while ago, Cheryl and I got in the car to come to church. She always puts her makeup in. On. She got in the car and she said, Honey, rebuke this thing on my face. I looked at her. I said, Honey, it's a little bitty tiny zip there, but it's no deal. I love you anyway, even with a zit. You thought she had a, thought she's going to die with that little thing on her cheek. I love her anyway, whether she's got that or not. Do we spend a lot of money on this piece of flesh? Do we? Sherry, you sure are laughing there, aren't you? Do we want this thing to be in good shape and to be beautiful? You know? Whatever. Just like Cheryl, I go in to give her a kiss in the morning, and she'll say, no, I haven't brushed my teeth yet. I said, I don't care. Just turn over here and kiss me, woman. She just can't fathom the fact that I would touch her lips with a kiss, and she had brushed her teeth. You think I've ever smelled bad breath before? She really don't have bad breath. She never has had. She thinks she has, but I don't think she does. So I've learned that when she's rebellious like that, I just grab her by the arms and flop her over in bed and say, Give me a kiss, woman. I'm really mean to my wife. <laughs> Aren't I, Tara? <laughs> she don't understand me. She don't understand. I don't understand me either. But I've learned that everything's meaningless. So what's the big deal? I get ready to leave to go to work. Who knows? I mean, I don't plan on having a car wreck and getting killed before I get back. But what if I did? I wouldn't want her to say, my goodness, he didn't even give me a kiss before he left. And now he's gone and in heaven. Put things that are important first. Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, they cannot rest. It is all utterly meaningless. How many of you guys are like I have been in life? You worked so hard during the day. You did something. You put in an 18-hour day. When you went home, you're so tired you couldn't sleep. Ever done that? Sure, I have to. Well, let me tell you, start cutting back a little bit. You don't have to do that. Work a couple of hours less or something. Now, remember, as a Christian, you've got to do a good job. You can't be slothful and lazy. God expects us to do a good job at everything we do. Work at it with all our heart, as unto Him, Colossians 3.23.
But don't do these things at the expense of your family. And for sure, don't do them at the expense of God. People wonder why they don't get their prayers answered. Just like Miss Betty over there said, Boy, go said, Thurman, you have great faith. Let me tell you, you know when great faith began to come upon me? When I started spending 5 to 15 hours a week diligently with God. That's when the faith began to come. 5 to 15 hours a week. And I've learned that about God. So that's why I like to have Cheryl with me everywhere I go. Because I know that I want to be close to her. I know that if I can be close to her, things work better. I don't like for her to go off somewhere and do something without me. I like to be with her. That's amazing, isn't it? But there's some things we have to do apart, isn't there? We can't do everything together. So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink. And lots of people take this route. Today in the church, we really take this route. So if nothing else works, we eat every time we don't even think about it. Somebody says, y'all come over to the house. Great, I'll fix a big meal for us. Hey, we just ate two hours ago. That's okay. I've got pecan pie and ice cream. You've got to have just a piece of my pecan pie and ice cream. And when you get over there, they serve you a quarter of the pie. I know you love pecan pie and ice cream, so here, Thurman, I want to give you a little piece, a quarter of the pie. What do we, what do we, what do we, the Christians today, if you mentioned fasting, like I did in Kim, she listened to my fasting tapes. Since God is a faith God, whenever I'd done my first fast years ago, I knew I was going to be hungry when I didn't eat. I mean, I could eat breakfast or not eat lunch and wait till the afternoon and I'd have tremendous hunger pains in the afternoon. So I thought, Lord, to go without food for a week, I can only imagine what's going to attack me. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, you did say ask anything in your name and you do it for me. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, take away my hunger pains. Let me go through this fast with no hunger pains and I asked God to do that on my very first fast, and I never had a single hunger pain. You heard her say she went through a fast before and had all kinds of hunger pains. Then when she asked God, and he helped her, and she went through the, this one and had no hunger pains this week. What will God do for you if you're going to do something for him? He'll help you. He will help you. So I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink. It's Okay. I eat slow when I sit down. There's a few things I don't do fast. Nearly everything I do fast. I walk fast. I work fast. I run fast. But I eat slow. When I sit down to a meal, I want to enjoy my meal. I'm usually the last one through. But when I eat, I like to enjoy it. And since I've learned that it takes 20 minutes for the last bite 
to register to your brain to tell you that it's down there. If I run in and eat fast, I guarantee you'll overeat every time. And then all of a sudden, 20 to 30 minutes later, you'll say, oh, I'm stuffed. If you're stuffed, you overeat and you sinned. God tells you to take care of the temple you live in. He doesn't tell you to overeat. But Solomon, so I decided there's nothing better than to just enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Then I realized that this pleasure, this pleasure of eating is actually from the hand of God. Did God say in his word in Psalm 103 that I'll satisfy your mouth daily with good things? But that doesn't mean you can sit down and eat a whole pecan pie. He means to eat a little piece. Use a little discretion. Don't sit down and stuff yourself. Eat reasonable. And when you eat, eat slow. The devil, he will get through to you. He'll do everything he can. If he knows your weakness is food... He'll get you there. I guarantee a lot of people that's in this church, as well as other people, if they were to go where Cheryl and I go in the course of a day, you'd starve to death. You think, do you ever eat? Technically, once a day, maybe. I don't think nothing about getting up in the morning, maybe. Maybe eat nothing, or maybe having a little bowl of oranges or something, a little and then not eat anything else all day until this evening. And then I'll have a mediocre little meal of some kind this afternoon at 7, 6, 7, 8 o'clock. That's a pretty well normal day for me. I never eat three meals a day. Never. I couldn't eat three meals a day. If I did, I'd be stuffed. Here while back, I went out to the ministry center. I had a little bowl of cereal that morning about 8 o'clock. I had to go buy a whole bunch of stuff. When I went by Justin, I went by the restaurant. I went by the post office, and I went to the restaurants right there, and I thought, oh, there's a great restaurant. I said, you know, for $4 and a quarter, they got the best chicken fried steak and cream gravy in town with iced tea for 4 and a quarter for a senior. That's hard to beat, you know it. So I went in there and had a chicken fried steak and cream gravy, and they even had a little cake for a dessert, and you even get a little salad with it. I ate all that, and I was stuffed. I, ate every, I should have stopped at least halfway through it. But you know how we are sometimes. We just gorge ourselves because it's good. I was miserable the rest of the day. If I'd eat half of that, I'd have been okay. I looked across at the guy beside me that got a full-size meal. Of course, he was about this big around. But the full-size chicken fried steak was two of the steaks that I got. The seniors was one. But the double full-size was two of those. And the potatoes and everything else. And he got two vegetables with his. I thought, how does that guy eat all of that? I don't know how they eat that much. There is a point of enjoying food. And there is a point of gorging yourself with food. Don't go there. It will shorten your life. I don't know what the percentage are, but some of you, if you're, if you're medical people in here, you may know for every pound of body fat you put on, the extra pressure and work it puts on your heart. Your heart has to work harder 
and harder and harder. The more meat and fat you put on your body, you put blood vessels and arteries, and that means your heart works harder and harder and harder. Now then, if you've never had the privilege to see how a heart works, I went to the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago one year, years ago. And then that, has anybody ever been to the Museum of Science and Industry in Chicago? Oh, we've got one over here. It's got a couple. They have a huge heart in that place when I was there, anyway. A huge heart. And you could walk in this heart. And they showed and explained all the portions of a heart, like a room. And then they had real hearts out there, their little, you know, pictures, or, or I mean, the mock ups of them, I guess. And then they had, I remember this set of manometers that they had over here. As an engineer, I understood those things and how they worked. It says grab the manometer handle right here and squeeze it and push the mercury up to right, this level. This level, when you push this and the mercury goes up to there, that's how hard a heart has to work every time it pumps on a normal system, perfect health with wide open arteries and veins. So I reached up there and I grabbed that and I, I thought, wow, that was hard. I turned it loose, and it came back down. I pushed it again. I did that about eight or ten times, and my hand was exhausted. Your heart has beat thousands of times since you've been in here just today, and God's pumping that thing. There's not any reason for your heart to beat to keep you alive except God. And the minute it stops, what happens to you? You die. That's exactly right. This boy knows. That's exactly right. You die. He's a smart boy. So let me tell you, what should you do with your flesh? You should take care of it if you want to live to be an old man. Eat right, exercise right, and keep those arteries clean and pure in your body. Because your lifespan is not a designated number that God has put out there. And regardless of what you do, it's going to be there. I had a woman the other day, I was called and talked to you. She said, Thurman, a person's life is planned by God. And whatever he has decided it's going to be, that's what it's going to be. And there ain't nothing you can do to change it. I told her, I said, ma'am, if I believe that, I'd quit what I'm doing. If I believe that, I would quit what I'm doing. If I believed I could have no impact on increasing your life, I would stop teaching a healing school. If I didn't believe the Word of God says that if you will be obedient to hearken to my words... My words, and by being obedient to them, will add many days to your life. That's what the Word of God says. If I didn't believe that, then I'd stop teaching. But if I can teach you the Word of God and teach you to walk in holiness and obedience to God's Word and take care of your flesh, eat right, exercise right, and do everything God says for you to do, if I think that's going to increase your life from 40 years to 80 or 90 years of good years, then what I've done, I've accomplished my job. I don't know about you, but I've already lived way past 40. And I know a lot of people that died at 40. 
Some of them had a pretty good life. Some of them didn't. But they died at 40. But I think of what I would have missed if I had died at 40. I love living, don't you? I love living. God put that in us. To love to live. But it has requirements. You need to walk holy before God. Solomon's trying to tell us there's nothing better than enjoying food and drink. That I realize that this pleasure is from the hand of God. God gives you the food, He expects you to enjoy it, He satisfies your mind daily with good things. He says, For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from Him? You can't enjoy nothing apart from God. If you don't come to know the Savior as your Lord and Savior, I know people that have eaten. It's amazing when you look at some of these people that eat food and then throw it up so they won't gain weight. But they gorge themselves on food and then throw it all back up. Can you imagine people allowing the devil to do that to them? They do it all the time. The devil. He does that. All you've got to do is realize you are a son or a daughter of the king of the universe and that all power is given to you and you don't have to yield to none of the ways of the devil. You can sit down at a plate of food and I don't care who you are. If you're a child of God, they can have the biggest table spread there ever was and you can sit down and eat the small portions and eat exactly what you want and thank God for it and you can get up from there and go out from there and be comfortably full and you can take good care of that flesh and it will last you a many a year. Can you overeat once in a while? Yeah, you can. Doing it once in a while is not too hard on you. If the only time you ever overeat is Thanksgiving Day or Christmas Day, it's not a great big sin. But if you overeat every day, three times a day during the Thanksgiving week, then it's going to show up on you by the end of the week. And I hear people all the time, especially women, say, my gosh, I picked up 10 pounds over Thanksgiving. Well, I got your answer. I can tell you how to not do that. I never pick up 10 pounds over a Thanksgiving holiday, Christmas or any other time, because I'm disciplined. I don't do that. It's meaningless anyway, Solomon says. He said, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. What? God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. Do you think it would be a good thing to please the Lord? I think that's the most important thing you and I can do is please the king. Think about this, ladies. Think about this, gentlemen, if your spouse pleases you in everything they do, what will you do for your spouse? Anything. Anything they ask you. Does it take an effort to do that? <laughs> yes. Does it take effort? Yeah. With the devil out there, I'm telling you, it takes an effort. I guarantee Look at his statement. If a sinner becomes wealthy, listen to what he says. If a sinner becomes wealthy, and some of them do. I've heard people say, you know, this guy, he don't go to church. He's worth millions. Here's Solomon's answer. If a sinner becomes wealthy, God takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please him. Who's in control? God is. He's in control. Nothing happens on this earth except he says, okay, I guarantee you.
the tsunami didn't catch God by surprise. He knew it was going to happen. But he knew it thousands of years ago it was going to happen. He knew everything. He knew the end from the beginning. So he knows everything. God takes the wealth away and gives it to those who please him. Even this, however, is meaningless like chasing the wind. So let's say you wind up with a million bucks. You worked hard at the cost of God. You're a Christian. You went to church once in a while. Or maybe you went to church every Sunday. You and your wife had a great life. And you was worth a million dollars. Had money in the bank. Everything. And then all of a sudden, it comes to the end of your life one day, and bam, you're driving down the road, and your heart stops, and it's over, and you get to go on to be with Jesus. It's nice to leave your wife a million dollars. At least she's not going to have to struggle around to see where she's going to, how she's going to pay the bills. But is that million dollars going to do you any good? Nope, not a bit. You're not going to take a penny of it with you. So don't spend your life making that million dollars at the cost of your time with God and your time with your family. Too many men do that. And today, we have too many women that are doing that. I think about this young couple that used to live out there where I used to live in Highland Village. They were a lovely couple, beautiful couple, and had two beautiful children. Two little girls, little sweethearts. He was a good worker, and he worked hard to send his wife to college. He worked for seven, six or seven years. She worked and went to college and got her a degree of some kind, then got her master's degree, and then she got a job as a vice president for some large corporation. And then she started traveling. I told him, I said, son, This is not going to work. Your wife's out of town three to five days a week. You're trying to raise the kids. I said, y'all are not spending any time together. I said, this is going to draw y'all apart. Oh, she, but she's got to make this money. We've got to have this money. No, you don't have to have that money. You were making enough money to send her to college and pay your house payments and to support her and your kids. You don't have to have her big money. But we want a new car, and we want to move to a bigger house, and we want this, and we want that. Vanity. Although they were Christians, they spent virtually no time with God. And the further they got into the business world, the less time they spent with God. Until first thing you know, I never saw them at church anymore at all. And then guess what happened? One day I heard they were getting a divorce. Did that surprise me? No, not at all. When you get a couple out of church, you get a woman traveling with men businessmen, a beautiful woman, I guarantee sooner or later one of those men is going to have her in bed somewhere. And it happened. And she sinned. And she fell. And they got a divorce. Vanity. But the devil broke up that family. I don't know what happened to those little kids since then, but they lost their mother and their daddy. Broke up the family. Does he do that pretty regular? Yeah, all the time. Why does he do that? Because we are so dumb. You know that? 
I look back at how stupid and dumb I was when I was a young man because I knew none of these things. I thought I knew everything when I was 25 years old. How many of y'all, when you were 25 years old, thought you knew everything? Hey, you didn't have to ask me. I didn't think I knew everything. When I was 25, I knew I knew everything. If you wanted to know what I knew, I said, I know everything. I didn't know nothing. Nothing. I had no idea what was going on on there. No idea. I was putting everything in the world in front of God. Everything. I had no idea what was going to happen in life. But now I understand a whole lot more. Now I understand a little bit of the spirit world. I understand the demons of hell are the police officers that ramrod God's kingdom. When we sin, they get legal right to us and they come to torment us. And he has no favorites. Nobody. If you don't give place to him, they can't hit you. If you give place to them, they can't hit you. I told at the healing school yesterday this story. Now, some of you notice that I'm not speaking as clear today as I normally do. But yesterday I was speaking a whole lot less than I am today. But I still taught the healing school. You know how this came up on me? The morning before the healing school. I ran in. I was up getting ready to go to the ministry center. I was dressed and ready to go. And this little lady sitting up in the front, I love with all my heart, my wife. Let me tell you the first thing about her. She's not a morning person. She can stay up till 2, 3, or 4 in the morning. But when she goes to bed, she can't get up till noon, at least, or 2 or 3 in the afternoon. She does her best sleeping from about 3 or 4 in the morning till noon. And then on up to one or two. But she's not worth nothing in the morning except to sleep. She's a deadbeat in the morning at that time of night. But most of you would be a deadbeat if you didn't go to bed until three or four o'clock in the morning. But she's lived her life like that. I've not been like that. I can go to bed at one or two or three and then still get up at eight or nine o'clock and blow and go. And she says she don't understand how I can do this. Friday morning. I'm getting ready to leave, and she's a deadbeat. She's laying on her face with the face in the pillow, still asleep. I go running and said, Honey, I'm going to the ministry center. I get up on the bed, put my hands on the bed, and she throws her hands up and says, Bye. And you know what? Right there, the devil says, Oh, this woman that God gives you, she don't really love you. If she did, she'd have turned over and give you a kiss. You want to know how easy the devil can draw you off? I immediately, just like King David looking down on that other woman, I immediately bought that. Immediately. And so I just turned her loose and walked out the door. When I walked out, she saw, what happened? He didn't give me a kiss. But I'm done gone. On the way to the ministry center, I received that offense and the devil beat up on me constantly. If she really loved you, she would have turned over and give you a kiss this morning. She don't really love you. And I received that all the way to the ministry center and back home. When I got back home that afternoon, I was still so fuming over that I wouldn't even go in to see her when I got in. She was in the bathroom. I didn't even go in there. I walked straight to my room and started entering checks and stuff in the computer. About ten minutes later, she came and said, honey, something wrong with you? She came in and gave me a hug. 
gave me a kiss too, didn't you? But it's, it's one or two o'clock. She's up and she's moving a little by this time. <laughs> you know, something wrong with you? I said, no. <laughs> How many of you know when you ask your husband something wrong, he says, no, everything's okay. You know there's something wrong, right? <laughs> I know none of y'all ever been there like that. But me, I received an offense from the devil. And guess what? We went out to eat with her son that night for a birthday party. And I hate to wait in a restaurant. I won't wait in a restaurant to eat. But that night the whole family was there. I didn't have no alternative. We had to stand out in the foyer where they were smoking cigars and everything else and wait for one solid hour for a chair, for a seat. I was being put to the test every way in the world. Then we get in the restaurant, and it's an hour and a half before they bring the food. Or it was an hour before they brought the food. It was an hour and a half before we got through with it. That's what it was. And by this time, I have such a splitting headache. I can't even think. I can't talk to her or nobody else. I finally told her, I said, I've got to have the key to the car. I'm going to sit in the car. So I got up and left. I was hurting all over. That offense I received that morning from the devil, the way he attacked my mind, I yielded to that. And I allowed it come up on me. So when the next morning when I woke up, I couldn't talk. I couldn't talk. I could not talk at all when I first woke up. The devil was saying, I knew sooner or later I would get you. I know what your weakness is. I know I can't get you with drugs. I know I can't get you with alcohol. I know I can't get you with profanity. I know I can't get you with outside sex. I know that you're immune to all those things. But I know you love that woman that God gave you. And you're really jealous over her. And I know what it takes to draw you off. And he took me off. And I opened the door. And the beast came in. Saturday morning, I got a healing school to teach, and when I wake up, I can't talk. First time in seven years of teaching a healing school, and I said, you devil of hell, I'm going to repent, and I'm going to drive you out, and I'm going to go teach that healing school, whether I talk or not. But I come and spoke all day yesterday, but I didn't have a very clear voice. But this morning, I am a whole lot better than I was yesterday. And tomorrow, I'll be 100%. Don't receive an offense. It'll cut your power off with God. Can you get beyond the point where you won't never receive one of those? If you do, you're going to be a better man than me. That's why I told Cheryl after what happened. I told her, I said, honey, next time I do something stupid, of course, something happened great out of that that saved another marriage that I didn't even know God was going to do. But I told her, I said, next time I go through one of those things, when I seem to be acting stupid, jump right up in my face and say, honey, praise God for this new test. I don't know what we're going through, but it's something good. (laughs) It's kind of hard to do, isn't it? When your husband's not doing nothing you like, and you jump up and finish face, you know what we want to do? You know what we want to do? We want your wife wants to reach up, grab your tie, pull you out, and bam, that's what she wants to do to you. What's wrong with you? That's what we want to do, isn't it, ma'am? When our husbands go crazy. But what God say when the trials and tests come, what did he say do? 
rejoice. Because who do you belong to? God. And he says, I'm going to put you to these trials and tests. But I don't like them. Do you? But he says, rejoice in them. So guess what i got to start doing? Quit complaining and say, Lord, thank you. If I hadn't complained all the way out to the minister center, I wouldn't have had this problem. If I had rejoiced and said, Lord, I don't know what's going on there. But you know what? When I got back and I finally told her what was wrong. She said, my goodness, you know I'm a deadbeat in the morning. I'm asleep. I can't think. She said, next time I do something like that, she said, just grab a hold of me. Remember, I belong to you. She said, my body's not mine, it's yours. She said, just grab a hold of my body, flop me over and kiss me. <laughs> Is that what you got to do? Sure. So that's what I'm going to do next time. Instead of taking offense, I'm going to flop her over there and say, hey, I want a kiss before I leave. I'm not letting the devil do this to me no more. You got to realize who he is. He knows what my weakness is. He knows what yours is. He knew what David's was. I can only fathom the fact that a man that had a house full of beautiful women, the devil could draw him off to have sex with a woman that wasn't his when he had a house full of them down there. He could have went to bed with any one of them, and they were his wives. But he chose to sin, and it cost him and his kids their lives throughout time. Is the devil good? Oh, yeah. He's very good. And he knows every one of our weaknesses, so don't let him do it to you. This study of the book of Ecclesiastes is awesome, I think. We're going to talk about this book every once in a while. Probably every other or every two Sundays I'm going to teach on the book of Ecclesiastes until I get through all 12 chapters. But in the meantime, I'm going to talk about the New Testament and who you are in Christ and what you can do. Because if you dwell too much on the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll think, hey, I might as well just hang it up. <laughs> but you've got to have one, one week of Ecclesiastes and then two weeks of the New Testament to let you know who I am as a daughter or son of God and the power I've been given. Because Solomon never got to live where you and I get to live. We live on this side of the cross. He was a servant of God. You are children of God. And there's a big difference. Now then, today, for those of you that are new, some of you already know, we got tapes and, and video and audio and CDs and everything back there. They're there for your taking. You can take anything. DVDs, some of those back there are DVDs also. So look on the disc whether it says DVD. If you don't have DVD written on it, it's a CD. They all look exactly the same. So when you reach up and get those, you may think you're getting a CD. But the CD and DVDs look just alike. But if it has DVD written on there, it's a video picture, not an audio teaching. And if you want to give a donation to for our tapes or to our ministry, our box is over here on the right as you leave. It's totally up to you. And then when we get through here today, we're going to close out with a song. And then if anybody needs to be prayed for, if you will believe God, he's still in the business of healing and touching bodies. He's doing it. Miss Laura, you have a statement you want to make? So you will know, Lori is the general manager of our ministry. She runs the thing. I just work for her. We all work for the king. We all work for the king. We have a supply of VCRs that we can't record on, but that 
they do play and if you know someone who needs one that can't afford to buy one they're in the back they're free we just brought four or five today but we have more we can bring on tuesday night and next sunday so please help yourself and we're trying to finish up the church directory so if you haven't put your name on the list please do so and be prepared to come next sunday or even tuesday night to have your picture taken yeah jordan are you prepared today for any pictures Okay, you can even come today, just right up here afterwards. So, Thurman, we'll move you over on that side. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you want your picture and your name in our book, you know, we don't actually take memberships as such to require you to be a member, but we would like to know who you are and have your picture and your name. So you can be a member of another church and still be in our book. We don't have a problem with that. We just want to know who you are. And a lot of other people want to know who you are. If you're a visitor... And this is your first time visiting. If you'd like to have your picture and your name in our book, we would love to have it. So that if you call us back later and say, I'm John Doe and I'm from New York City and I was at your church before and I had my picture taken. We flip over and we see who we're talking to. We will know you a little better. So we would love to have your picture and your information in our directory. And also just to let you know that the number that's on the tapes is the number for the ministry center. If you have questions or need additional prayer, Thurman doesn't have time to answer all your questions. We're there to help you. Please give us a call. Amen. We have several people out in the ministry all day, every day that meets people's needs. They pray the prayer of faith for people. And God does wonderful things through these people. He is the same one that, I mean, Several people are praying out there. We have some wonderful prayer warriors. Many of them. We get praise reports back all the time from all of these people. God sends these people out too. He answers prayers of faith. You don't have to have me pray for you. I'm going to tell you. I don't know. Is Liz, is Liz and her husband here today? Liz is not here today. She was here yesterday. And I got to tell you this praise report. They came to me a few weeks or months ago. And... They wanted me to pray for their 11-year-old son that had ADHD. I don't know what ADHD is. You may know what it is. I don't know what it is. But it's something messed up in your flesh. I mean, just like it's just a devil. That's all it is. So anyway, they wanted me to pray for their son. And I told them, no. I said, son, you are the spiritual leader in your home. There's nobody in the world has greater spiritual authority over your son than you. I said, if you'll walk holy before God, you will believe his word. You and your wife can go and you can cast that demon out of your son and command him to be healed in the name of Jesus. And God will deliver him just like he will when I do it. So they were kind of a little disheartened. But I said, you can do it. I want you to do it. I want you to know that you can do it so that every time you have a problem in your family, you don't pick up your phone and call me. So you will learn that you can fight this battle. You are a son of God. She come yesterday at the healing school. She said, we got home, and the next morning, before my son got up, my husband and I got in there together, and we prayed, and we rebuked the enemy, and commanded our son to be healed, and said 20 minutes later, he woke up, and he was totally a normal young man. And she said, he's been totally normal ever since. When God says in his word that he gives them, the church, power to cast out demons and heal the sick, what do you think he meant? That's what God is teaching 
That's what he's called me to do, to teach the body of Christ that you as an individual have the same kind of power. All it takes is spending time with God, walking holy before him, and then speaking his word in faith, and he will do it. And that's why all these prayer warriors that work at the ministry center, when they pray for people, God hears their prayers and does awesome things. Okay, the tongue, the tongue, this tape back here, the CD back here has got three CDs in it, three. We used to try to put these in different packages. We found out people get tape one and they forget tape two or three. So when they got part one or two or three, we put them all in the same package. The first tape on the tongue I made was uh, two 90-minute teachings. Actually, the first one I done was one 90-minute teaching. And then I redone it and made two 90-minute teachings. Turned out two tapes. Well, when I put it on CD, so many people want it on CD, I put it on CD. Well, a CD only holds 80 minutes. So I put 80 minutes on one, 80 minutes on another, and i got 20 minutes left over. What am I going to do with it? Put 20 minutes on a CD? Ah, I believe I ought to be a better steward of God's resources than that. So I sat down and done 50 more minutes of teaching on the tongue. So there's three CDs. 240 minutes of teaching all about the power of the tongue. And that's on this one. So if you've listened to the two tapes on the tongue, there's 50 minutes of new teaching on this you haven't heard. It's very good. We need it. Okay, um, praise the Lord. Any other questions or anything? Or any announcements or anything that somebody needs to say? None? Okay, Father, in the name of Jesus, I praise you and thank you for this day and for the blessings of life. Lord, I, I just worship you. I thank you for showing up in this ministry. I thank you for healing people, delivering them, and saving them. I thank you that you're the King of kings and our Lord. And I praise you and thank you now, Lord, as we sing this final song today to worship and praise you. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we give you all the praise because only you are worthy. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.